On this week's show, we have a special giveaway to announce Elvis Hits Theaters, and that means Tom Hanks is joining Real Blend. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 219 of Real Blend. Podcast has been officially changing its name to the Chuckle Club after today. Uh, and you'll find out why in a little bit. My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing editor at Cinema Blend. And on this week's show, well, first off, we have a very special giveaway that we're going to announce later on. I'll throw that to Gabe in a, in a heartbeat. Elvis uh, hits theaters directed by Baz Luhrmann. And because of that reason, Tom Hanks is going to join the show. <laughs> Tom Hanks. You're, you're joking. Which, uh, no, I'm si- I'm dead serious about this. If it one. happens, um, though, come on, if it happens. Well, it's, it has happened officially. And <laughs> so uh, uh, as everybody knows, this is really, really special to uh, Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Jake, how are you doing today, sir? Honestly, like this is an actual dream come true. Uh, <laughs> I, I cannot express enough what it was like to sit in front of my favorite actor next to my best friends experiencing the best conversation I've ever had about movies like there, there's uh-huh. no there's no short way to 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 downplay how special this moment was. I hope you guys feel the same way. I, I do. I, and he is not sugarcoating it. This one was this one is uh, really special. Not was is. And you guys will enjoy it in a second. As soon as I introduce you to uh, Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Kev, you had a great little interaction with Baz Luhrmann that I watched right before coming to the show uh, where you asked him about hair and he had never <laughs> been asked this before, apparently. Well, yes. And uh, good to see you guys. And uh, Hi, the Kev. Tom Hanks interview, I have to echo Jake's sentiments, but we'll uh, we'll dive into that as we as we get closer to tossing to that uh, shortly. But yeah, the Baz Luhrmann thing you're referring to. Uh, basically, I was just curious about the hair and the sweat continuity that Austin Butler had to deal with. In That's terms such of- a great question, actually. It was but it was one of those things where I'm like, is this kind of a weird question to ask? Like, is there somebody like is there somebody on sweat and continuity detail on a film? And he's like, actually, (laughs) I have four major things that I that I bring to every movie and hair is the fourth. Like, it's literally one of his most important, which I never really thought about. But if you think about I mean, we watch movies very, very specifically, but I really hate and get taken out of films. Like if someone's hair 
mm-hmm. or sweat or any type of movement in the facial area on a close up is off from the shot to the next yep. shot. Like you cut to somebody's reaction. And like, that's what's fascinating about Elvis is like, I mean, Elvis's hair itself is a character. The 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 sideburns were a character. The, the you know what I mean? So like and I'm telling I know it sounds weird to say that, but they no, no, are no. a massive part of the film. And like he sweats a lot in that movie. I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. He's like I mean, he gets very unhealthy as he gets older. And the sweat is really something that's very immersive. And uh, I appreciate you bringing it up. But that was just it was one of those where, questions. Where did I was you like, post that? Where can we see that? just on Twitter. It was just nice. like it was kind of a throwaway question. I was kind of like, I kind of want to know this, but I don't want to I want him to think I'm like not trying to focus on the important thematics of the film and talk to him about sweat and hair. Um, but no, it was, it was um, fascinating. For a director, I think that that stuff yeah. is actually important. Those details. I, I wish I had brought it to over to Austin after his answer. Um, like, you know, sometimes you're at a junket and you get an answer from somebody and then you kind of want to bridge it to the next yeah. person. Um, Jeff bridges it to the next person. I, I was just... Um, I, I, now I'm kicking myself for like going, oh, I should have brought that up to Austin. Anyways, con- continue. Also, I want to officially mention the fact that my uh, Elvis interviews are doing better than Jake's Elvis interviews. This is a very competitive <laughs> thing that, uh, that I've been keeping track of. Doing better where? Like, uh, so on, like, on, so, YouTube. on YouTube. Oh, on YouTube. Yeah, uh, this is YouTube. the moment I'd like to mention that Austin Butler has likely watched our interviews. <laughs> yeah, yours. Well, yours, for yes. sure. He's a big mm-hmm. fan of your work. Um, and Kev, the reason I was laughing is before, because I'm going to throw this to Gabe, and this is something we're going to say for the premium. We had a, we had a tremendous inside joke about sweat and sideburns. Oh, God. Mr. Tom Hanks. <laughs> Are we going to give that joke in the premium? Is that- we got to give it in the premium. Uh, wait, do I, I know this? Do I know this story? You uh, might have missed it. it. Might you have might just not have been, been sitting there. I was kidding! Yeah, yeah. I'll save Wait, it for I, the premium. I'll save it for the premium. There's a sweat I'll, and hair bit that you guys. <laughs> had. Oh yeah. I think you were. I think you were in a room. You were like you were. You were doing the junk. You might have been doing it. <laughs> we'll oh, save I need it for the premium. You need to hear this. It's so now good. That, it's now so it makes good. my tweet even more interesting. That, <laughs> even that I more tweeted interesting. that out today. <laughs> uh, Gabe Kovach, how are you, sir? Why don't you take it away? Say hello to the peoples and uh, and then explain this blend game giveaway that we're doing. Yes. Uh, Hi, folks. I'm good. How are you at home? I'm going to take over the housekeeping section for this week. The usuals uh, like subscribe, tell your friends about us. All that stuff remains important. But I wanted to highlight something special that we are doing technically next week, but you need to know this week. So we're putting it at the top of the show. And is that and that is that the lovely folks at the Movies Anywhere uh, app are giving us codes uh, to give away to you fine folks at home. Um, for next week's blend game. So next week's blend game is going to be hashtag summer blockbuster blend. And in honor of that, we have a pack of movies that include uh, Jaws, Mad Max Fury Road, Black and Chrome, which is the black and white edition, and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Ooh. We're giving away to five uh, lucky folks. All you have to do to enter and win um, and potentially win is... On this YouTube video that you were watching, leave a comment using hashtag Summer Blockbuster Blend and let us know what your favorite Summer Blockbuster movie is. Or you can use that hashtag on Twitter and do the same. Or you can email us, realblend at cinemablend.com. Put that hashtag in the subject line of your email to make sure I get it. And we will choose five lucky winners in next week's Blend Game segment um, to send you these codes. Should be fun. There you go. All right. Here in the notes, can we win uh, if we're a part of the show? And a big thank you to uh, Movies Anywhere for for reaching out and wanting to do something cool with all you guys. And you, your prize, yeah. Jake, is being on the show. That's that's, their, that's yeah. your prize. I would have a smart ass response to that if it weren't Tom Hanks week. 
True. It was, it, yes, yeah. it is. So for I, can't, that I can't say anything. Well, I'm this week. I want to take a second because we, we've been doing the show for years now, uh, for four years, I believe, probably more than that. Um, there. And, you know, we get people who tune into our show based on a guest and may, maybe hear our show for the first time. So people who are Tom Hanks fans might be come to this episode who don't know who we are. Right. Great and point. I Great do. Point. I want to point out that, you know, as we tell Mr. Hanks, Mr. Tom Hanks, um, Mr. Tom at, Hanks in the interview, uh, we're a film podcast and we're, we're technically based. And I know this is, you know, people who listen to our show know this already, but if you're just finding us for the first time, go back we have Quentin Tarantino on three times, you know, Christopher Nolan, uh, Sam Mendez, Russo Brothers, Joaquin Phoenix, Todd Phillips, uh, Edward Norton. Uh, just these are all like big people that we've had on our show over the years. And Sir Ridley uh, Scott, Sir that's Ridley a- Scott, uh, Barry <laughs> Sonnenfeld, um, just a lot of big ones. Uh, the Quentin Tarantino ones, if you're just finding us volume, we did it three times, volume one, two and three. Uh, just recommend those. And again, I know people who listen to our show all the time know this already. But uh, for new people, please go back and find our catalog because it's a pretty it's pretty impressive, at least from our perspective. We, we can't believe we, we can't, I mean, Tom, we are proud such of a ourselves. Pinnacle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We are. Yeah. Especially I don't mean it. I don't mean it like that. I'm not, it's not like a tap on the back. I it's mean more it like, like that. I, I have no problem saying <laughs> yeah. that. It's it's just more of like, hey, I you know, if you've never heard us before, give us a chance on the on the other stuff as well. We we and we don't do this every time, but anytime we have an interview that yields the four of us sitting down and cheersing an adult beverage, you yeah. can't help but feel like we we right. we did something right. Also, yeah. Hans Zimmer, uh, if if you're a, yeah. a scored person, yeah. Michael Giacchino, Danny Elfman. Also, I mean, Kevin, um, for just uh, to get the terminology correct, um, we Tom Hanks fans, we call we like to call ourselves Hankies. Hankies. Yes. Hankies. Yeah, Hankies. Yes. Okay. We're Hankies. So, right. you know what? Right. You know what? Everybody's waiting to find out. Did we shout Larry Crown with Tom Hanks? <laughs> well, kind the of. of the interview. <laughs> How about we let the people find out for themselves by listening to uh, the official Real Blend interview on behalf of the film Elvis with Mr. Tom Hanks. Let's have let's have four white guys talking about the movie right now. Oh, this is going to be called diversity in show business. Is that what it is? Let's tell it. you how things should yeah. be. You know, if I could just talk about women in the business right now, and that's an interesting question about biraciality in, in the motion picture business. And who better to tell you? Nothing better than guys that Chuck our David last Skip. Show. Like, that's great. Tom Hanks is our final guest. Skip? I want to be skipped. Yeah, I love that. Beautiful. Thanks. We're loud, yeah. so just tell everybody else is recording that we have an audience in here. We, we have, have a good a cor- audience. We have a quorum of diversity here. So <laughs> we get a real laugh track here. Is- uh, Mr. Hanks goes without saying. What an honor to have you on the show, sir. And uh, please we, call me Mr. Tom Hanks. Mr. Mr. I Tom like that. Hanks. I like that more and we are a, uh, a a craft and filmmaking podcast. So feel please, you know, oh, great. feel oh, free to get great. as nerdy. The kind of questions we can't ask you at a TV okay. junket. I get please, it. I get, get that. nerdy. Okay. Um, so, oh wow. Please do. Right. We shot the film on the no K one nine forty seven. You joke, system. but that's exactly yeah. our audience. I believe it. Yes. Yeah, I believe it. What's on aspect ratios all the okay, time? Okay, I'm not going to. I'm going to. I don't tell you this, but yeah. I'm, the next movie I'm going to make is going to be made essentially on the same kind of lens a super-powered version of it that is in an iPad. Wait, what? what? I know. I, I can't tell you. I'm, I, it's got an NDA I signed already on it. But this is where an aspect of uh, let's call motion picture making is made. I said, how are we going to shoot this thing? 
And the guy who directed it says, you're not going to believe this, but we're going to use like a billion dollar version of the same camera that is in your eye. And that guy is? You know, I, I did a little reading on, on Tom Parker before seeing the film. And what I thought was interesting is that it feels like he's always, he didn't want people to know he was an American. So he always yeah, was yeah. kind of putting on, wearing big cowboy hats, cowboy boots. He said he was born in Virginia. Yes. He was raised in Virginia. So in a way he was putting on a performance. I'm oh, curious yeah. how you related to him kind of as an actor, because in a way he was an actor. There was there was a series of anecdotes about him. And every time I came across it, I said, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. And if you go, there's a scene actually in it. We actually shot a ton more that has ended up in the movie because Baz was in love with the carnival. Um, that he, uh, actually he got into carnivals back in Europe. His, I want to say his uncle had a small little carnival and he loved it. And he actually came to America to try to run the circus. He wanted to, he wanted to run or own Barnum and Bailey's uh, greatest show on earth. Oh, wow. That's what he wanted to do. Uh, he didn't get there, but he did become this guy who ran attractions. What he wanted to do <laughs> was present somebody whose name is actually Merrill Feinberg. He wanted to present Merrill Feinberg as the great Xena, the woman who could portray the future just by staring at the palm of your hand. I would only cost you $5 for a, a, a lucrative, a, a specific 25-minute session with it. For a mere $5, you will find. That's what he wanted to do. So is it any surprise he put on a hat? He, by the way, you know why he was a colonel? Some mayor, probably of Nashville, said, I'm going to make you an honorary Kentucky, well, Kentucky, a Kentucky colonel. Right. right that, yeah. He had a certificate. He was as much of a colonel as uh, Sander, Harlan Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe Harlan Sanders sold chicken at a, at a premium when, in fact, it was just kind of like fried up in a secret sauce. Yeah. So, that, so was, that was yeah. the same thing. He calls you Colonel Sanders on stage in the movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Colonel Sanders. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. I've been lucky enough to see you on stage twice live. Um, Henry the Fourth in uh, oh, California. My wife and I went and saw you there, which was amazing. And then Lucky Guy in New York City. Oh, wow. And seeing you live was a really different experience for me because I got to watch people react to you in live time mm. um, versus a movie when you are you aren't there. Like obviously, they can walk out so much easier in films. Go ahead, please. No, no, I, I want to just ask you what the difference is when you have that immediate reaction from oh, a crowd. The great like thing that. about doing theater is you start at the beginning of the story and you ride the audience through it. The, the audience picks up. You can feel it. You can understand where they need a little boost, where they would like a little more humor, or where they're right there on all of the drama. Uh, and uh, both of those, uh, the, the, the play in the, the Broadway, Lucky Guy, was oh. phenomenal because it was a New York story. And every matinee, the Wednesday and the Saturday matinees, that's when New Yorkers who live in New York, that's when they go to the theater. Yeah. They don't want to deal with the tourists having dinner and stuff like that. So they go to the matinees. And... Our matinee performances were red hot because they got every tiny little reference to something that happened back in the 70s. Uh, for Henry IV, Falstaff, when I first met Baz, and he described this relationship between uh, uh, the colonel and Elvis, I said, that's Falstaff and Prince Hal. Yeah. And I had just, the, the I'm going to say, just a few months before, we had performed that play outdoors, beautiful setting. And um, what an amazing oh, it was, it was, theater. Oh, my God. Like it was with, beautiful. Uh, Hamish yeah. Linklater as, uh, um, and Joe, uh, Joe Morton as uh, 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 King Henry. It was just fabulous. But I said, you are describing Falstaff and, and Prince Hal. You're describing mm -hmm. a jovial, 
a lovable cad who would cheat you, you know, yeah. who would, you know, you know, get free drinks out of you, steering this young man to the crown and at the at the very moment having it snatched away from him because because of, because of uh, he wasn't worthy of being allowed into the thing. And I said, uh, I think I've been preparing to do this now. Now, <laughs> if you could do me one favor, please show me a picture of Colonel Tom Parker because I have no idea what he looks like. <laughs> uh, and then that was after that, it was Katie barred the door, man. I was gone. Well, those shows were incredible, man. I really, oh, I'm glad. Thank, I'm cool. Here, a theater goer. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm, I, I thank you for finding the theater where we oh, did uh, Henry IV. It was, I, I sat on the right side. I remember I was like looking at you from the right. There was like the right seats, the middle seats. Oh. And the, it was, a, it you was remember it was, him, right? Oh, yeah, you remember yeah, him. He saw him yeah. from the crowd. Yeah. Tom waved at yeah, me. Every, every performance was magical. Man. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's a, a moment in Elvis that I absolutely adored, um, which is uh, described as a flash of lightning uh, when Elvis finally pairs his talent um, and his art with the audience. And it's described that he's turned into a superhero. Uh, and you have addressed that moment before in what I think is one of the greatest scenes uh, put to film, which is the talent show uh, in that thing you do. Oh. Oh, when, when they kick up the drum beat <laughs> and the other guys are yelling at yeah. him, it's too hey, fast. It's a ballad. It's, it's too, too, fast, fast. too fast. We but, had this whole story. It says, look, those girls just sang this slow song. <laughs> You know, yeah. the nuns essentially sang this folk song. It's not far with a bass player. We got to kick it up, man. Yeah. And Jimmy didn't like it because he wrote this slow. And can you imagine that thing you do is a ballad? No. You oh. Well, they perform it. There's one point where they're practicing that it. Thing you do. <laughs> it would have lasted four minutes. I never would have gotten on the radio. Kind of want to hear that version. Yeah. Are you? Oh, maybe. I'll ask Austin to sing. As a storyteller, are you fascinated in those moments? Oh, those th listen, al 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 I've al seen it again and again and again where some, some instinctive decision happens or you just don't want to do it the same way or mm -hmm. you just want to try something, something different. Or a type of, the power of cinema doesn't happen until all, everything is unified. And I don't just mean the sound and the score, but also everything that happened prior to the movie occurred and then everything that happens after the movie. And I'll tell you one of the, the, one of the places where I get that over and over and over again all I did was walk out of a door, look, look, up, look up and down the street, and walk away. That's all I did that day. And it's the moment where I leave Denzel Washington's office in Philadelphia, and the Bruce Springsteen song kicks in, mm. and you know that this guy cannot get a lawyer, and he's dying of AIDS, and he's all on his own. Right. Now, when we're shooting that on a day in Philadelphia that's kind of cold and they're just trying to get it. They're trying to hold the traffic the right way and talking to Jonathan Dimity at the time. And I said, oh no, I know what's going on here. I'm good. But the reality of it is it takes place in real time and it's done in 15 seconds. That all it is. That's the undeniable um, quality of lightning striking in a motion picture. And I know for a fact, I could tell you 92 stories about the same exact. Can Please I just do. tell you one Please, quick one? Yes. We've got nowhere to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got nowhere We're to be. We're on your time. Okay. Casablanca. All right. This you is a true story. No, no, I'm not in Casablanca. <laughs> he directed it. I, uh, uh, if I had been, I would have been the craft service guy that came by with a, with a roach coach. Um, I know this for a fact because I've read it in more than, more than one place. Okay. They're shooting Casablanca. The script is a mess because the studio is low budget thing. Nine guys have written it. The director is Michael Curtiz. He's Hungarian, speaks with a cuckoo yeah. accent. And the lights are hot. Everybody has to be dressed up to the nines every single day. And they don't really know exactly what they're going to be shooting. Well, Humphrey Bogart loves to get off work about 5 o'clock, have a highball, 
go home, take a shower, then head off to Ciro's for dinner with, you know, I don't know, Jimmy Cagney. Sounds nice. So <clears throat> they literally have Humphrey Bogart in his white tuxedo and nothing to shoot. Nothing. Okay. Still waiting for something, lighting <laughs> over here, la, la, la. And uh, getting on towards the end, and the word comes down, you know, Mr. Bogart is looking forward to the end of this day. Right. All right. And so Michael Curtis says, okay, uh, just come up, hit the mark, look off, and nod. You know, it's something we can use somewhere. Okay. All right. All right. And Bogie says, uh, how long do you want me to hold on the beat? Just, you know, just stop for a moment. Just give a look. All right. Should I smoke? Ah, no, no, no. All right. So he does it. Does it again. Does it one more time. What's he nodding at? The passing cat? You know, the, the guy passing out caught. Who knew? Who knew? Ingrid Bergman, as he's studying your lines, going to make Has no idea. All right. So that's the scene they shot that day. Because Bogey wanted to get done, and they had to roll film. Right, right, right. They had to stay shooting. Well, the moment in the movie, and you could look at it. You look at it now. Go back. The lighting is not the same. It's, that's, this shot is lit for day, and the scene takes place at night. And it's the moment when Victor Laszlo wants to drown out the Nazis singing their little Hitler Youth song, and he goes up to the band and says, play the Marseillaise, and the band doesn't know what to do. He says, play it, play the Marseillaise. And the conductor looks over off camera, and what happens? In a day shot, Marlon Brandt, oh, excuse me, Humphrey Bogart walked up, gave him a nod, and it's the moment of the movie. And that's how movies are made, you knuckleheads. You think there's moment to this? We make this shit up. Sorry. (laughs) What's one like that for you that would be like a classic scene that that would be like that for you? Oh, oh, look, I'll I'll tell you, you how far do you want to go back? How far do we have to go back here? We're on your time. There was a, a... I'm, I'm trying to think of like, well, I will, I will tell you like for, and in, in, in Forrest Gump, all the stuff that we shot on the park bench in Savannah, Georgia, we were just shooting interstitial stuff. We were just shooting fodder for a possible narrative piece of it. And I said to, I said to Bob, I said, anybody going to care about this nut sitting on a, you know, what is this? No one knows what's in this thing. I mean, and, and, uh, and uh, you know, we, we ended up shooting, it was probably like, you know, 13 pages of dialogue that we had to shoot in a day and a half. And so it was written on cue cards that had sliding, sliding. Every, I mean, I didn't need the cue cards after a while because you, you, you get into it. But Bob just, I don't know. It's a minefield, Tom. It's a minefield. You never know what, you never know what people are going to take away from it. And it ends up being, you know, that thing. Um, but that, that's, uh, that, that is, uh, you know, it's just, there is a moment where, I think an actor making a movie realizes that you have to forget everything. You have to forget all the distractions about what's going on because it really is shots. It's a moment in real time, captured in real time. You know, it's 13 seconds or it's two minute of a two minute of a scene, and it's not just slate. You know, say it, cut action. You actually have to be there in a way. You know, you don't want to toot your own horn, but it has to be, it has to carry with it in that, in that scene every moment of the theme of the movie. It has to represent that. And if you're not able to go there, you're screwed, man. Right, yeah. mm-hmm. You're screwed. And so you have to forget all this stuff and just, you just try to get there. Wow. Incredible. Wow. Speaking of being a director, you've worked with directors who have very strong visions. Obviously, Baz, Steven Spielberg, Coen Brothers, Clint Eastwood. Um, just, just a handful. On a handful. Uh, just a handful. You know who was a strong, had the strongest vision of them all? Nora no. Ephron. Nora Ephron would brook no disagreement. Really? Oh, yeah. Nora, and the two movies that I made with her, we had 
literally rehearsals where you tape out the set right. and you have the props and you rehearse with the words, with the dialogue on that day uh, for two weeks prior to going. And I would say, Nora, you know, we make this stuff up as we go along. And we said, if we don't know exactly what we're doing on the day that we shoot this six weeks from now, we're going to lose time. Mm. And I said, I got it, boss. Wow. And Love so that. we were, we showed up ready to go. That's amazing. That's incredible. I'm curious, you have experience behind the camera, how your experience as a director affects mm. now your relationship with the directors oh, that can, you work today. I can, I can tell you that it, it's, it's three things. Are you, are you ready? I'm ready. Every director, and having been the director, you have this experience where you are looking at the monitor as the scene's being played, and you're just, you're thinking this to yourself over and over again. Just say the words. <laughs> Please just say the words. Just say the words. It's going to work. Just, just say the words. You don't even have to do it as it's written down. Just say words that will make sense about this scene that we can cut. That's all you're thinking about. What every director wants. And I learned this a long time ago, and I'm going to say, I think it's one of the reasons I'm talking to you right now is that the actor's job, what the director wants is for the actors to do three things. Show up on time. If they need to be in the makeup chair at 7.15, please be there at 7.05. Please, mm. please. Because if you're not there till 7.45, the day is going to get lost. So please be on time. You'd think that would be a really... I was like, that shouldn't be it asking should that not, much. You know yeah. how impossible that is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, enough there yes. there yeah. are yeah. so many people that do not bother with that. All right, so that's number one. Number two is... Know the text, not just your lines. And you don't even have to know the lines perfectly unless you're working with some screenwriters, you know, say, you will know, this is the Gutenberg Guarantino Bible. Guarantino, we've, we've been hey, told. Hey, oh, okay. <laughs> no, 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 and by he, the way, and I've, say that. I've worked with them. I've worked with people that's, uh, with the Coen brothers yep. particularly, and also the Warshawski. Uh, that's not the way it is in the script. So, okay, got it. I will, I will get their word perfectly. But not just your lines, but also the text of the whole thing. Mm. Be familiar with the movie that you're making. You're not going to have all the answers. But know what the other characters are going through. Bob Zemeckis is crazy great about this because mm -hmm. his rehearsals are two weeks of everybody in the room saying anything they want to about any scene in the movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I remember, you know, uh, uh, on, on all the movies we've made, you know, uh, Helen Hunt or Gary Sinise, they would wait, or Sally. Sally was sitting there knitting, saying, you know that scene where you and, you and Bubba are in the, they, and Bob said, well, why do you say that, Sally? Because everybody has a viable take that is doing nothing other than testing the material. So, know the text. All right, show up on time. Know the text. All right, if you, do, if you do that, you're doing two of the three things <laughs> that will make directors want to work with you again. The last thing is to have an idea that is not on the page. Hmm. That is not an insistent, you know, you can't come in and say, you know, I'm not going to do that instead. I'm going to do that. Not that kind of an idea. An idea of something that you can communicate in the scene that is not there on the page. It doesn't require words. Some aspect of a motivation or some act of a reaction, something, of, something that you carry into the scene yeah. with you. Um, because when you're in those moments where you're just grabbing a shot, where you have to be somewhere in the place, um, that requires an examination of the entire theme. Um, though that is what is going to be this unspoken thing that is in your pocket that no one knows except you. And having a secret like that, 
makes you feel like you're in on something big. Yeah. Now, I'm talking as though that has happened every time I've been in my <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, I've come up and said, what is it? What are we shooting? What is this? <laughs> How am I looking? Why am I looking there? Okay, I got No, you don't have to be there, man. Take off. Just put a C-stand over there with a tennis ball. That's <laughs> I've done that. I've done that. But when the time, as a ramp up to it, when the time came and I was talking to the tennis ball, I made sure I got there. He told, he told yeah. Paul Newman yeah. that. Like, yeah. oh, you don't need to be there. Yeah, you don't need yeah. to be there. Oh, uh, <laughs> actually. <laughs> there was, we, that, we went late on Road to Perdition. There was one point, you know, we were coming in, and I said, I said, Paul, are you still here? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, that's who Paul, that's who Paul was. Wow. Mr. Tom Hanks, I, one of the things I find... Thank you. Thank you for that response. I listen. I listen. Because yeah. some oh. of you guys on TV, so Tommy Tom Tom. Tell me about your new flick there. That's a wild one. You didn't get that from any of us No, not any of us. One thing I find fascinating, just kind of like triggered this question, thinking about the idea of like shooting a section of a sequence, knowing the whole idea of what that moment's going to be like. And it just brought me back to the opening of Saving Private Ryan. Oh, yeah. Because there are so so many different sections of that and the way Kaminsky shot that with the shutter speed oh, yeah. and the way I just wondered, like, can you walk through that idea? Yeah, that was like, that was shot geographically in real time. We started in the landing craft. <laughs> then we were on the beach. Then I was in the water pulling, pulling that uh, the great guy, pulling him ashore. Then we were at the breakwater. Then we were behind the Belgian gates. Then we made our way up. We were on that beach for, I'm going to say, um, on the beach itself for, uh, I'm going to say three weeks. Oh, my God. And um, the other guys, uh, Vin and Eddie and uh, Adam, um, forgive me, creating a plate shift, they were all, they weren't, they weren't shooting yet till we were at the shale. And halfway through the first day, um, I looked at, uh, the shot was an amputee actor in the distance in slow motion, looking around, oh, yes. picking yes. up his arm so and moving forward. Yeah. Oh. I went upstairs. I went up to where, you know, we were having lunch or whatever. I said, guys, guys, hold on to your hats, man. <laughs> we are, you are not prepared for what's going on down there on, 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 the, on the beach. It's, it's, in, it's insane. And that's actually, that rarely happens like that. Right. That happened because Stephen can make it happen. And Stephen actually, he doesn't do a ton of scouting or anything like that. He gets it. He's got every piece of equipment on the truck that you can imagine. Mm. And people that he can literally say three words to that mean three pages of, uh, of stuff to be communicated. Mm. On a movie like Elvis, uh, Austin had to shoot essentially part of the movie with me there with him. And then he had to return to the same costumes, same sets, the same lighting for when I was gone. Because right. life had intervened and I said, I, I, I can't stay here for 19 months, Baz, right. while you figure out <laughs> Come on, what you want us to do. <laughs> so I'll, you know, I'll be there, I'll work, my, I'll work as much as you need me, but you gotta be done with me by Christmas. And they stayed working into March. So wow. they, they, it, was, it was tough on them. And what's harder, you know? Shooting, you know, geographically, so you're just as tired every step of the way, mm. or have it shooting a little bit and then coming back later mm. on. 
Can I follow up on Austin really quick yeah, before sure. we wrap up? Yeah. Um, because it'd be, we'd be remiss not to speak of him with his performance oh, in this film. Yeah. Uh, he's absolutely Mr. Incredible. Austin Butler, I like yeah, him. Mr. Yeah, Austin yeah. Butler, oh, yeah. yeah. He yeah. made yeah. me call him that also. We too, didn't call him Austin. Tell us about yeah. your new flick. Hey. Hey. The hey. Butler Man. Hey, hey. at your service, hey. Butler Man. Hey. So you played the king. How do you swill him hips? Elvis the pelvis, man. Did you sing those songs? Were you an Elvis fan beforehand? What's your favorite song? What's the biggest challenge? I'm so glad he's not naming questions that I asked earlier. Like that would have broken my heart. No, we understand. We know where you come from. I want to come back around to to a little bit through this because early on in your career, you got to work with legends, Jackie Gleason and and Sally Field and people who had been in the industry forever. I'm sure that you soaked up everything that they gave you. I never took my eyes off. Mm -hmm. So now Austin is doing that for you. You know, what do you like to pass on to actors you work with who have a a million questions, I'm sure? Well, you know, the, the, the only thing you can only look, I only learned through osmosis Mm -hmm. um, and osmosis at moments like um, Paul Newman's first shot in uh, road to perdition. It was at the wake and he made a quick little toast about a speech Mm -hmm. and it's literally 30 people, including me, thinking, I'm in a movie with Paul Newman. There's Paul Newman. He's standing right there. There's yeah. Paul Newman. And he, when they said cut, he said, la, 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 da, 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 da. Cut. Then he looked at the thing and looked around and said, the first day is loaded with self-consciousness, isn't it? You don't really feel yourself. So thank God this man, you know, this man said that. So it is a battle. And I, I didn't have the words to it, you know, probably until like 10 years ago. It is a battle against self-consciousness. And I, I read a story in Sally Field's autobiography mm. that explained Sally Field to me to a T. And this is, this is a beautiful story. All right. Did you read it? Did you read I the book? I read it. Okay. No. Okay. No, I'm Check going this to. out. Yeah. Sally Field has been Gidget. Um, she has been the girl with something extra. Actually, I think she was Gidget, and then she was the flying the nun. Flying nun, sure. Yeah. Flying nun. There was nothing in her bones that said, please let me be the flying nun. There was not a, there's not a moment in there. She was, she had been in a thing. She was from a showbiz family. They said, if they're offering you to be on television, that's a job you take. Sure. No matter what you have to do with it. Okay. She's pregnant. She's Sally Field. She's doing this thing called the flying nun. She's pouring her heart into flying nun. And she's exhausted because all these TV shows shoot 16 hours a day and there's never any turnaround. And she's in every single shot. So she's beat. She's young, she's pregnant, and she's beat. And she's Sister Bertrill in the Flying Nut. <laughs> What's it called again? Flying <laughs> Nut. I know we're supposed to stop, but don't worry. We're, gonna, we're almost done with our anecdotal stories here. So the story was this. She couldn't do it. She couldn't get the words out of her mouth. She was too tired. She was too flummoxed. She was too exhausted. She'd done 17 episodes of 39 or whatever she was supposed to do. And one of the other nuns, one of the other actresses said, stop. This girl is going home. And she literally, in in their nun's habit, come with me, Sal. And she led Sally out to the car. And this actress said to Sally, Sally, I think you really care about your craft. A group of us gets together every Thursday night at 7 o'clock at this address. I think you should come join us. Now, what is that? 
is that some bizarre religious cult, you know? Is it, uh, is it you know, they're going to learn how to sell Tupperware? And, you know, uh, the, what it was was an invitation to come study at the actor's studio. Oh, my wow. God. Wow. All right, so let's, let's examine yeah. this. First of all, wow. one of the nuns... In, in the flying <laughs> nun. Say it, say it for me. <laughs> was it the flying Vine nun? Flying nun. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Has trained at the actor's studio right. and has seen a compatriot appear wanting to be better than the material and better than her exhausted. She wants to improve her craft. And from that, from the flying nun, she goes and joins the actress student. And because of that, we have Sally Field as Sally Field is right wow. now. So the things that I learned through osmosis is that this is a, the big battle is to not let the glamour and the fun and the hang and the, you know, the camaraderie of the ensemble get in the way of your, the, the, the fight you have to make about um, self-consciousness. And talking to, you know, I will tell you that we had, COVID kept us apart. We were not able to hang out in the making of Elvis. So I was always being turned into Colonel Tom Parker while Austin was off being turned into Elvis. We didn't see each other until, uh, until we shot. But we, there was one day at the beginning where we happened to be in our civilian clothes. We had a moment and I just said, how you doing, man? <laughs> <laughs> and by that point, we had gotten over it such a pleasure and la, la, la. We'd, we'd had those, you know, getting to know you moments. Yeah. And um, he said, well, you know, really busy. I said, dude, every time I see you, you're off to the dojo or the recording studio. You don't have a moment peace, do you? And he said, and he said good naturedly, well, no, peace is something I do not have a moment for right now. <laughs> right, right. But it was, you know, we were just about, we were just going to start. And um, I said, look, um, Here's a question I have for you. Are you as petrified as I am? And he, his, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he, uh, by my recollection, he kind of like went, oh, thank God for <laughs> confessing. Because, yeah. you know, look, I said, dude, you're playing Jesus in yeah. a story yeah. called yeah. Jesus, you know, <laughs> in a movie. Like, What's it called? Yeah, <laughs> and the movie would call, be called, I don't want to offend anybody, yeah. but, you know, <laughs> no, okay, you're, you're, right. you're playing Buddha in a movie called Buddha. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you got to be, you know, you got to be kind of like spot on. I get to come in here and all I have to do is be viable as this fat, un-American guy from Holland who's right. pretending to be somebody else. I got the easier gig, mm -hmm. but I'm still waking up at three o'clock in the morning saying, how did I get myself into this mess? And please, please, please let me escape with my life. And for, I look, I'm not, I think from that, he's, he's, he, first of all, he's a professional actor, has been since he was 12. Mm -hmm. That's a huge thing. Yeah. So this is not an overnight coup of, ca I mean, it is, I'd sure. love to have it, but this isn't something that we discovered this guy out of nowhere and no one knows who he is. Right. So he knows how hard it is in the first place. But coming into something like that, where both of us are playing um, historical figures that are not just, um, you know, and they're not, they're not politicians where he, he has to... Yes, and, not, and we're not just telling the story of how he learned how to sing Hound Dog or, you know, uh, the history of sweaters by way of the Singer Sewing Machine circa 1968. He was actually going to be playing this great confluence in American culture. And he had to do it with all the power, all the affection, and also all of the, what, swagger, but also all the artistic drive of Elvis Presley. 
and that we were both petrified by this thing and also already driven nuts by Baz, who, you know, would always put us through all kinds of stuff like that. Baz. I think that, I think if I gave anything, it's like that, dude, this is just one day at a time. We're all just barely hanging on to this wild torpedo. What you're going through is what I'm going through, but I am so glad I don't have your part. I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I'm in mine. And if there's anything I can do, uh, try to find me, but because we are being kept separate because of the biohazard security team <laughs> protocols of the film industry of the state of Queensland by way of Australia. And uh, look, uh, I, you, you've, you've seen what the end result is. Mm, and yeah. I, if I was going to uh, probably have predicted anything, I would have thought that the, his wherewithal would have flagged at some point. Mm. And it's to his credit and to the credit of the greats, Paul Sally, mm -hmm. Merrill, anybody who can describe with, you know, one first name, uh, Denzel, yeah. those people never phone it in. They never coast. And this guy never did. Unbelievable. Uh, Wrap us up, Jake. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Wrap us up, Jake. Now, no. which one is Manny and which one is Skip? I'm, I'm not. Oh, okay. Mole. Oh, oh, Skip. Skip. Uh, 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 then I guess my <laughs> process of elimination. And, and what is it? The chuck what is it? The Chuckle Hut? Is that chuckle, the, Right. What the, the Chuckle Club. The, the Chuckle, chuckle Club. We appreciate That's you right. being a guest on the Chuckle Club. All right. Happy and, to be uh, here. We hope that this is the yeah. first of many because for all three of us, it's a And once job. again, I just want to applaud you at your efforts of diversity and putting together. Literally, it's a rainbow coalition. Right, right here. Hopefully, we had a variety of questions. And yeah, that's, that's where yeah. 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 we're just best friends who started a film podcast. That's it. Oh, yeah. see, you guys, yeah. during the COVID uh, no, break? No, no, before. Oh, COVID. really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. what a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. We, we were friends long before this, and we just said, what if? And oh, somehow, what if has landed us and in you. with you. There you go. Yeah. I'm glad we did it, man. It was yeah. fun. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Needless to say, we have to thank our friends at Warner Brothers for helping us set up the Tom Hanks interview for Mr. Tom Hanks himself for agreeing to come on the show. Uh, and really, for you guys for listening to this show on a weekly basis, uh, we don't get to say this enough. Your guys' support of this show allows us to go to a studio and say, hey, we think Tom Hanks would be a good fit uh, mm -hmm. on our show. Um, and it ended up becoming one of the best interviews that we've ever had. I really want Jake to start because, again, you know, this is Jake's favorite actor 
of all time and and every he's time he's our I resident did, hanky as we just learned yes i want to give you guys a little peek behind the curtain um anytime tom hanks has a movie that's coming out uh, and there's a possibility that that he might be doing interviews for it a good six months in advance jake is starting to grease the wheel of can i get some time uh with tom hanks and to his credit it it always works out. Uh, Tom Hanks's people now know you very well and respect you because of the way that you conduct yourselves in these interviews. Um, but but he, it's, time with him is very important is the point that I'm trying to get at yeah. for you. So what did it mean, Jakey, to have a half an hour uh, uh, to really connect with him? Can well, I honestly, say one thing yeah. before Jake says something just to give context? Uh, Sean says 30 minutes. This is important because I think this will make Jake's point even even more insane. So keep in mind, this interview took place at five o'clock in Memphis. Um, Tom Hanks had to introduce a screening at six o'clock with Priscilla oh, yeah. and Lisa Marie Presley. Let me say that again. He had to introduce a screening with Lisa Marie Presley and Priscilla Presley. Like that's not a thing that can be pushed back 10 minutes right. or 15 he had, minutes. He had to get to this <laughs> yeah. uh, theater to do this. So it's five o'clock. We sit down, we have 20 minutes and Tom Hanks pushes it further as you heard in the interview and we ended up i think wrapping at like 5 35 and a dude like literally rushed out and went to the screening i'm assuming he made it because it was like a 10 minute drive mm-hmm. five ten minute drive um so i just wanted to give that context because that's the pre- we were up against that aspect of the clock yep. we were the last thing of his day he had just done press for like four hours so we were that, that I just wanted to give context as to where we were and wh- where he was headed. <laughs> and so, Jake, take over. It just I mean, I think the thing that astounded me most about the, the the content of the interview is how much he just kept name dropping all of the films that deep down we really wanted to. I mean, of course, I think we're, we're going to talk about Elvis a little bit later in the show. I'm going to say a spoiler alert in that we all really liked Elvis. So we have no problem spending half an hour talking about Elvis. I would have been totally fine with that. But sometimes you you really hope that like, oh, man, it'd be really cool if he brought up Saving Private Ryan, man. It'd be sure. really cool. And without us turning into the Chris Farley SNL sketch where we go, hey, remember that time you were in Saving Private Ryan or maybe mm-hmm. that, time, you know, but the fact that he organically brought up sitting on a bench shooting Forrest Gump. The fact that mm-hmm. he organically talked about saving Private Ryan, the fact that he organically would talk about working with Nor Ephron or or the fact that he brought up Road to Perdition without me having to ask him about it. Multiple it just times. blows my mind. And you guys know I'm a really big fan. As I think we all are of uh, of the great interviewer Ali Plum. Who's a, if you've never seen his work, he's a fantastic interviewer, so much so that it really annoys me. Um, and he does this really great series called um, The Movies That Made Me, where basically Terrific. he sits down with these with with legends, people who have had decade long careers um, and basically gets to do just that kind of beat for beat all of like the iconic movies that you'd love to talk to them about. And I've always wanted to do one of those with Tom Hanks. I've always wanted to do a The Movies That Made Me, like imagine getting and I kind of feel like we got that. I feel like yeah. we got a a uh, inside the actor studio i feel like we got a the movies that made me with tom hanks and there were multiple moments and i've gotten much better at doing this and it's much easier to do it when you're sitting with other people in the room and kevin i think you said you did it too i did it i i, I think i did it yes. at the same time you did because i remember looking at you during yeah. this there were there's for, for context for people it's really hard when you do really hard we're not digging ditches but the, whenever you interview <laughs> these people emotionally yes yeah. who who you are so jacked about and you're so into and a lot of times when you only have five minutes it's easy to get 
so excited and so jacked that you're you're lost in the moment and you're not present enough. You're so your mind's racing about what the next question is going to be and kind of making it tight and making it smart and making it good that when you walk out of the room, you don't have any genuine memories of what that moment was like. I can't tell you mm-hmm. how many moments I feel like I've missed because I was too concerned about what the next beat was going to be. And so I, over the past few years, I've really been trying to make a point of be present in the moment, like appreciate the the insanity of the reality that you're in right now. Think about like what's what's actually happening to you. Think about this hero of yours that you're sitting across from that's telling you the kind of stories about these movies you used to watch when you were six years old in a small Texas town on VHS and that you're now talking to this person about it. And there were multiple moments and, and with 30 minutes, I had them where I was able to just pause for a moment and go, I'm sitting in a room in Graceland, sitting next to my best friends, talking to my favorite actor of all time. And it really seems like he likes us. Yeah, yeah. It really seems like he's into well, it. It really helps when it's the three of us mm-hmm. because you get time to process while someone else is going. Yes. Yeah. And, and we're listening, yeah. you know, cause you're almost thinking about like, is there something I can follow up on? Yeah. Is there another th- yeah. another thread I can sort of pick up and take with it? Because Kev, you pivoted to the Saving Private Ryan. Yes, because I, I, I wanted you guys realize... talk about that. Can you talk about that moment that that and we talk about that. it doesn't happen every time because sometimes we just don't have time for it to happen. But can you you guys explain it much better than I can? That moment where we feel like the three of us all of a sudden click because we do mm. a pretty good amount of prep beforehand. But there's a moment in the interview that occasionally happens and it usually yields the best interviews where I don't want to say we throw out our questions, but we just sort of abandon this rigid structure and just sort of let each other like jump in and ask follow and it always yields the best stuff i I don't know how how else to explain that well and it's an interesting thing because like prior to going into that interview this is actually really interesting to think about now because we had written we we like for to peel the curtain back just a bit like we had all done the press junket that day right so we had already been there we saw the spoken to tom we interviewed Tom Hanks. We, you know, everything was like kind of one on one. And, you know, by the time we got to this point in the day, we had our, we had asked, you know, our, our like a lot of the questions we wanted to ask because we had these one on one time slots for our television stations. So then, we, then then you pivot to the podcast, which is a lot more in terms of like you can dive deeper into the filmmaking techniques and things like that. But what's interesting is going into that interview, we had a lot of Elvis questions, mm-hmm. tons mm-hmm. of Elvis questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember thinking in the back of my mind. I literally I think I said this to you guys when we were walking. I'm like, shouldn't we ask him about like the opening of Saving Private Ryan or something like that? I mean, like Uh this this is a big deal to have Tom Hanks on our show. I mean, and probably arguably one of the greatest moments in cinematic history. Um, And I just remember like thinking that. But I was like, you know what? You know, like we all have our we all have our questions prepped because when we prep our questions, we prep them in a way where one leads into the other. Mm -hmm. Um, The only thing you don't anticipate in that situation is where he might go Mm -hmm. and where that might take you. And so what's funny about the Saving Private Ryan moment that Jake is talking about is Sean asked this great question uh, early on in the interview that led to this answer about uh, Casablanca and uh, Humphrey Bogart. And his great he, story. That story right. he told was incredible. Oh, incredible. And then and then that yielded uh, his Philadelphia story. Yeah. Um, and then we and then my brain just started swimming. Like, yeah. I, I, I could. I was like, I was like, what? But other? your question was so organic. It wasn't. It's, I, th- I think there's a giant difference between the way you did it, which is just uh, people came talking out in a room yeah. versus like us sitting there going like, hey, can you tell us about like right. the saving proper? Like, like you did it in such a, a genuine, organic way. And I don't think he would have responded the same way if we right. just asked it cold. 
Right. And that's the point I'm making is that like literally in that split moment, I had a question ready to go, which was the process question about what about diving deeper. Basically, the question was going to be like, when you don't look like yourself, is it mm. do you, is it easier to mm-hmm. take more risks as an actor? Do you, like do you feel more comfortable? You asked better? No, I know. But do you but do you feel more comfortable like pushing yourself when people aren't going to see Tom Hanks? They're mm-hmm. going to see this cr- character who's under all these prosthetics. And, and I do love and that question. When yeah. we were prepping and, it, I and, really did love that. And question. it was I genuinely was about to ask it. And then all of a sudden I was like sitting there and I was like, I was like, this doesn't feel right. I got I got to go into same private Ryan. That's because that's yeah. the question I always wanted to ask. And it was right there. It made sense. And again, this is not patting ourselves on the back. I just think it's cool to give insight into the process because like that interview ended up diving deeper into his career than we yeah. had intended. Um, and that was all because of one. All three of us obviously are fans of his work. We like different aspects of his work for different reasons. But at the same time, you know, it was we had Tom Hanks on our podcast and I was like, was this when's this ever going to happen again? Yeah. Like I can ask him a process and makeup question. Sure. But this is the right time yeah. to throw in the same private Ryan yeah. question. And then I think uh, Forrest Gump came out of that, all that kind of stuff. So I it, almost it, elbowed Sean in the ribs whenever, he, <laughs> but then I was afraid that I was afraid that Tom would see it and be like, what, what is it? And then, and well, then yeah, I yeah. didn't know what I would have said in that moment. <laughs> so Honestly, I'll tell you what I, I would have said. I, no, I would have said it. I probably no, have said it. Why would you I have said that? Have said it. You know why? I think he would have respected that. Well, depending on how Sean said it, (laughs) I I think if I think here's here's the point, he hears every day constantly about how great his movies are. And Forrest Gump probably gets mentioned to him on a daily basis somehow. Every day of his life since 1994. Right. It got brought up at the Elvis junket. I think I talked to like three other people. Yeah. I, I talked to him about because there's the eldest yeah. scene in Forrest Gump. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so the point being is that, like, I feel like that would have been I, I'm, I'm wondering now, because based on the vibe of the interview, Sean, if you had said, like, Mr. Hanks, you know, I'm personally not a huge fan of Forrest Gump. These guys love sure. it. You know, the one best picture. Tell me why I'm wrong. Uh, but, but honestly, that could have I bet you that would have yielded an interest because he because he's been talking about like. Um, other things and other films of his on, and other well, interviews. Did you guys I read think- the New York Times article? The, the So they ask him about the controversy surrounding Forrest Gump and it beating Pulp Fiction and Oh, and, do they? Um, yeah, really? he, he, yeah, he's he's pretty... Basically, he brings up an interesting point, which oh. is that like, if we were a small independent film, people wouldn't rag on Forrest Gump as much as they do, but because we made a billion dollars, because we were right. overly popular, then all of a sudden every like everyone is mad at us for for beating Pulp Fiction. And he the- he he gives Pulp Fiction its props. Like he talks about how great Pulp Fiction is, but he was like like because we were so popular, it felt yeah. like we built we beat this little small movie that should have won. It's like La La Land, like because like La La Land got to a point where yeah. it became like annoying to love it, right? Like and people were like, "Oh, this is like the it's the it, it's it's so overloved." And then um and I'm not saying like Moonlight didn't deserve it, but like I feel like La La Land peaked at a, at a at before it should have yeah. in terms of the award season and then lost its steam. And then Forrest Gump kind of became that movie like like you're saying, where it's like everyone just loves it. And then you mm-hmm. and then you want to root for the quote unquote mm-hmm. underdog, which would be Pulp Fiction. Um, anyways, I, was, so, I was kind of afraid that like Coda was heading in that direction. Right. So in an effort to 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 tamp down just a bit uh, us celebrating how well it went, I am going to point <laughs> out the one element uh, of the interview that I can't listen to without cringing so hard. I I literally am like falling into myself. And now I want everybody to go back and re-listen to it because it's the I moment where 
Oh, it, I'll tell you exactly what it is. I mean, it's it's one of mine, so don't worry about it. It's not it's oh, not okay. any of you guys. Um, <laughs> Could you okay, imagine? I, get to, I, I genuinely have no idea what you're going to say. I, I have not, not heard this. You imagine he was like Kevin. He's like Kevin. That, that Saving Private Ryan question was <laughs> balls. It was awful. So the one question, because Kev, like you, I'm I'm of the mindset of when are we ever going to get Tom Hanks again? Like this is going to be a once in a lifetime thing. And right. one of my favorite movies of his is uh, that thing you do. Of course, I would love to oh. be able to, to ask him anything about that thing you do. Yeah. And the connection between Colonel Tom Parker and Mr. White of who he plays. Yeah. And I bring up I the, had that question written down for our podcast. Yeah. And I bring up the moment where the band switches into the the talent show and uh, and uh, the drummer plays it faster and and everybody gets mad at him. The guys in the band are getting mad at him. And Tom Hanks takes it from that point. Like he just picks the baton and starts running with it. And he says like, oh, we had this whole thing where they were saying the the nuns, the girls who are the nuns sang the song right before it. And we got to pick up the mood and Jimmy didn't like it. And he goes, could you imagine it as a ballad? And w- at which point Tom Hanks starts to sing uh, the the ballady version of that oh, yeah. thing you do. Right. And he's he's into it. And and, and me, stupid me. It tries to tell Tom Hanks that in his movie that he directed, that there's a moment where they are practicing the song and they're practicing it slow. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there's actually like a moment in the movie while he's singing it. I'm like tripping over Tom Hanks to tell him about a scene in his movie. And literally, I was like, I just I just ruined it. I just traveled all over this. And then I sat there like a buffoon afterwards and was like, I I didn't even notice. Gabe, did you notice that when you listen back? Go back and listen I don't to even, it. It's I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm yeah. like, you know what, Tom Hanks? I, 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 I do remember movie. that. I don't remember that moment, but I don't remember it being awkward. Or I, this is one of those uh, things that, that you're looking at it from a different perspective than <laughs> right. sure. we will. Um, we will move on from here, but I just I did want to plug while we're here. If anyone does want to hear more from how it went, um, some of our prep from behind the scenes, some of the stuff that went wrong, this, that, and the other. Uh, our premium episode this week is going to be us discussing more of this. So if you enjoyed the last 20 minutes or whatever that we spent, 15 minutes that we spent talking about this, um, and you want to hear more of it, you can subscribe to that premium feed and we'll put more of it there. But we're going to save some of the bigger nerdy stuff for well, people who, who... I need who to subscribe them. so I can hear yeah. that sweat story. I don't really oh, know great. what... Hey guys, I, I just want to emphasize one more thing and then we can move on. Seriously, I, I always thought that my Larry Crown interview with him was just going to be like the interview that my entire life I looked back. I'm like, man, that was because I, re- I remember that feeling in Dallas, Texas. And I remember how many minutes did you get? I, it was like, it? I mean, not not an astronomical amount of time. It, it felt okay. it felt longer because it was a PA tour. And if you know these, a lot of times PA tours can be, uh, you know, a minute or two longer than than a junket. But okay. it just went so well. It went as better. I mean, you know, him fawning over the questions and he's on camera at the very end, like telling people in the room, like, weren't those questions great? Or so, I mean, like, it's it's what you would want. And I never right. thought that that moment would be topped. I just kind of was like, well, I'll, I'll interview him a thousand times. At this point, I'm just collecting interviews with him like Infinity Stones. And it's just really cool to be able to, like, have this many interviews with him i'm up to seven now but you know um but that moment and a huge part of it was because the four of us were there like the four of us were there sort of like i said clicked into that moment and uh now that's the interview where i'm like well that's not gonna get topped that's it because the guy because we can't replicate that we'll never be able to replicate that again challenge accepted (laughs) fair enough enough. yeah that that and our two and a half hour discussion with quentin tarantino are my two favorites we've done on the show god how is that the two of them in a room together remember remember tarantino said he would work with tom hanks if the right one came along when you mentioned uh 
screenwriters who are a little bit precious about their words. And you mentioned Tarantino and he goes, ah, Tom Hanks, ever the politician goes, yeah. ah, ah. Yeah. And, and but the, thing is, the only reason I even brought that up is because Austin Butler had just told me because he Austin Butler compared Tarantino with Baz Luhrmann. And he yeah. had told me how much Tarantino is a stickler for like word, Like I wrote it oh, this yeah. way. Read it that way. Say the word that, you know, so that was just fresh in my mind. I, I honestly yeah. really wasn't trying to start anything, you know? Yeah, yeah. All right, let's get on to the the box office results from from last week's uh, Jur- Jurassic World Dominion to take a huge step backwards. Uh, <laughs> earned fifty nine million dollars at the box office last weekend, holding on to the number one slot. Uh, Lightyear, poor Lightyear, barely beat Top Gun Maverick in its fourth week. That's insane. Now that, okay, but that speaks to the success of Top Gun Maverick, sure, uh, and literally. This is the movie that we've been talking about for a really long time of like, what's the film that's going to bring everybody back to the theaters? And I guess I guess it's, you know, No Way Home. A lot of people went to go see No Way Home and a lot of people went to go see No Way Home over and over again. And that thing made, you know, one point five billion, I want to say. One point eight, I think. One point eight. Okay, so that's that's a lot, a lot. Do you. But we expected that. Would you say, Sean, would you would you describe like the 20 million dollars that's missing from what was projected for Lightyear is in Mavericks? Forty-four no. million dollars this week. Oh, that's I, a great question. Well, I, I think I think to Gabe's point, I think because a lot of times these like Pixar films or the animated films that come out during the summer, I don't want to say I don't want to call them counter programming, but like something that appealing to an audience that the other movies out in theaters aren't appealing to. And I think mm-hmm. Lightyear was appeal. It was meant to appeal to like a little bit of an older kid crowd because it's a little bit more like you guys have described it as Star Wars. But I think the issue is is that. Top Gun and and Jurassic World both were already appealing to those crowds much mm-hmm. more than most people anticipated. So I also, think that the audience for for Lightyear just wasn't there. Also, people didn't understand what Lightyear was. Oh, 100%. Um, I'm still trying so, to explain to people what it is. Yeah. And here's the thing. So I loved Lightyear. Um, it was basically, to me, it was Pixar's Interstellar. And I, no. I, I, got, kind of fr- I got kind of frustrated because there is literally a scene in Lightyear that is literally the Interstellar scene with Matthew McConaughey. Um, and I brought this up to Chris Buzz Evans. Is, Buzz, just, is, Buzz is crying looking at his cat on the TV screen. He's well, watching his cat grow <laughs> The cat is old. In the beginning of Lightyear, this is not really a spoiler. This is just the plot of the film. But in the beginning of Lightyear, they explained that yeah. he's losing years as he's traveling around to try and get people off this planet. And it's the same same concept, obviously, of, you know, of Interstellar, where they go down, they're on the planet for four hours. They're actually gone for 23 years. And McConaughey gets back and he watches that video of its kids growing up. Is it true? Him. I started to interject, Kevin, you would know the answer to this. Is it true that that in, in Zimmer's score, you can hear like a tick, 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 tick. And that every tick is a year. Probably. So I, I, actually, I, I, I heard that somewhere that like any, yeah. anyone that's listening, let me know that I, I've heard that they, they did the math and that the tick, 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 tick. Yeah. You're supposed to be able to hear the years ticking by. It's possible. So I, 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 I thought you would. No, no, no. But and, and you're, I, I've definitely heard that as well. But in Lightyear, there's there's a very similar sequence where where Chris Evans gets back and he's watching this video of Uzo Aduba's character um, Hawthorne all grown up and like in an old age. And it was it was basically the interstellar scene. And I remember asking Chris Evans if he had any um, if that if that at all hit him when he filmed it. He said he hadn't seen interstellar. I'm like, dude, like you literally did a scene that was exactly like that. Even the director, Angus McLean, uh, didn't said that wasn't a reference to Interstellar. I'm like, are you sure, man? Uh, but in terms of. Well, I think it's an inevitable plot thread of time dilation. 
Sure, but like, to I watch a video of someone growing up like that you just got back from. Yeah, but but I just think that's a. I, I don't totally. Th- I think that that's totally fair that they would say, "Oh, what happens?" Like it's kind. It's not like it's like seven sure. level down. It's like what happens if you skip ahead this many years? Oh, everyone you know is once has grown old. Chris Evans told Kevin that via Zoom. That's when Kevin did the Matthew McConaughey like weeping and like putting his yeah. hand up on like his his computer screen. I was like, dude, man, you got to watch it anyway. So back to Lightyear in terms of box office. Um. There's a few factors here that I think are important to note. One, people didn't understand what this was mm-hmm. um, because like it's so funny because at the beginning of the movie, there's a text that explains the entire plot of the movie. And it's brilliant. It's just basically like, you know, in 1995, Andy. But they waited too movie. late. I didn't even hear about that until like they, they right. that well, should no, have been they, in the trailer. They yeah, you're right. I don't know if it was in the trailer, but they did mention it when they announced the movie. Right. And for people uh, that, you know, don't know what the concept is, basically, the movie is the movie that Andy saw from Toy Story that made him want to get the Lightyear toy Mm -hmm. for his birthday. And so that's one thing. How do you explain what this is? I mean, also, you're basically saying that this was a movie that was made in the 90s, essentially, um, and that Andy saw this in the 90s, if you want to put Toy Story in present day. Um, In terms of the other part of it is the Tim Allen aspect. Um, this is a very confusing thing to explain to the general audience. How do you tell people that why Chris Evans yeah. is Lightyear and not Tim Allen? Because then you have to educate them that like you have to educate them like, OK, Chris right. Evans doesn't do Captain America toy voices like like it's a right. lot of times Tom. Hey, I think Tom Hanks, brother does the voice for the Woody dolls. Chris right. Evans, his brother does yeah. the voice for Captain America. Yes. Yeah. Right. And that and so to general Weirdly audiences, enough, I do all the voices for Jake's dolls. It's true. Right. It's true. Right. Yeah. I but, quit. But, I say really explicit <laughs> things that he doesn't know. But explaining that to an audience, those those two <laughs> things, the- those two things are very convoluted. Those are hard to those those two hills to get over to tell someone yeah. why well, Tim Allen's not doing it. And I think there's a lot of other things that factor into it. But I loved Lightyear. I think that it you know releasing it second week after Jurassic might have been a problem. Um, there's also, you know, the behemoth that is Top Gun, as you guys mentioned, which, by the way, as we're it recording this. It makes me this, so happy. It's doing it, so well. It just crossed 901 million. Yes. Um, His first B. His first B is coming. Wow. Right. So it just crossed yeah. 901 and I believe, million. And I believe the, South Korea opens this week, which is a yeah. famously huge market for Tom Cruise. Right. South Korea opens this week and they're probably going to cross a billion. Well, His first billion awesome. by the end. I just want to very quickly point out too that of those three movies, Top Gun, Maverick, uh, Jurassic World, Dominion, and Lightyear, the other two are movies that that feel like they need to be seen on the big screen. Uh, like Pixar mm. sent their last few movies to to Disney Plus, and whether it's right or not, I think some families have just decided we can wait. We can but wait. Also, It'll be on Disney Plus soon. But Lightyear was a was to me was a definitive theater experience. And, and, and oh, I know and, it's but, beautiful. But, to Sean's point, he makes a good point because, and this is something I saw a lot in articles. I didn't mean to cut you off, but you brought something up that I wanted to mention. That's what happened. That's a, that's a third thing. So uh, the, the how do you explain the plot? Why Tim Allen's not doing it? And then, okay, why am I now getting a Pixar movie in theaters, but not on my Disney Plus account like I did with Turning Red or or Soul or, um, you know, Luca? It was Luca. I don't know if Luca was Pixar. Um, yeah, but it is. But yeah. you're 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 that's you're conditioning basically the people who watch this material to know, sure. oh, it'll be here for you. So you're not wrong. It just to me, what sucks about Lightyear is it is. It's one of the most it's probably the most cinematic animated movie I've ever seen. Like it is they added film grain to, to, to the movie to make it look like it was shot on film. And the camera, the, the the digital camera work. I mean, as I mentioned last week, they had they they, they positioned this film for one, four, three. They 
edited and did the whole movie in one four three and they just cropped yeah. it down and yeah. it jumps up to these IMAX scenes when you jump into hyperspeed and it is astounding like it is yeah. so freaking cool um I just think it got lost in that shuffle unfortunately that for those three reasons but Sean go ahead I, I just but you know we're about to see no, a billion no, dollars for Top Gun this is wild yes. incredible uh gabe asked how long we think top gun lasts in theaters i mean i think it goes i mean yeah i don't think there i mean there's not that much more like adult fare happening Um, i mean i mean we got thor which is is going to make the marvel money i mean that was always going to happen and then you've got nope which again even though that's more of like an adult film doesn't feel like it's necessarily competing with top gun i i think we i think we get to the end of august and all of a sudden look up and go oh my god top gun is still making money well, but well, let I me think, s- tell you this. Yeah, no, this most, well, now that this, it's made cross 901, it hits that threshold of they're going to let it ride until they can hit it. Well, and also, right? Kevin, also, isn't like, it coming back to IMAX? I just saw a tweet uh, right before we did the show where IMAX was like, they, they, I like the IMAX account because they write it in like a first person perspective, like someone's just talking to you and they're like, hey, guys, what do you think about maybe bringing back Top Gun <laughs> to IMAX or something like that? Because remember, it only had a two week run. Mm-hmm. Right. And then Jurassic hit and Top Gun's IMAX experience is mm. so far beyond anything Jurassic does because Jurassic doesn't expand to these IMAX shots. But if you get a chance and they do, and I think they're going to re-release it in IMAX to cross that billion mark, as you're saying, uh, Jake, I, I think what, that um, where does I'd the go gap, back. Where does the gap come from? Because IMAX is, a good is, exclusive, question. is exclusive, right? So like Thor will have IMAX. Yeah, right. So, here, so here's the thing. Is it during Here's Nope? My, is Nope going to be an IMAX? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. So here, here, here. Uh, well, we can get to that because Hoytema. Um, but yeah, they shot. <laughs> nope was shot with the same cameras that Nolan right. uses. Right. Um, so uh, back to Top Gun. So right now we're in an interesting window because I believe Lightyear and Jurassic are currently sharing the IMAX screen. Right. The next gigantic IMAX release, if I'm not mistaken, is July 7th for Thor. Mm-hmm. Um, we're at June 21st right now. I would imagine that the Jurassic IMAX period probably ends Thursday. It's two weeks. I bet you Lightyear gets another week, I think. And then you have a week in between, essentially, I think, between Thor and th- and that. And guess what, baby? Fourth of July weekend. Oh, what better time smart, to put Top Gun smart, back in smart, IMAX smart. theaters than Fourth of July weekend? It's uh, it, Paramount. If you're if you're smart at all, you are putting together advertising campaigns yeah. that talk about fireworks, barbecue and right. Top Gun. Matters. You know, what's great. Like and the then, fact and that then you add add something like like uh, we'll give you an extra 10 minutes of behind the scenes footage at the end of the film. Like, Did you like guys something see that's, the, um, yeah. the popcorn, the park words. Did you guys see the popcorn bucket that I got whenever my dad and I went to yeah. go? Yeah. 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 Oh, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. It's it's pretty pretty you know, there's a Jurassic one that's even bigger than the one. No. That oh, it's, they always it's go big. AMC's been doing that. AMC's been doing like I think for for Batman they did like the Batman cowl and filled it up oh, with and, and those were hard to get. Bigger. Those were those were so oh god. And Thor uh, gets the hammer. Thor's getting Mjolnir. Oh, very cool. Doesn't yeah, hold yeah, popcorn. Yeah. Doesn't hold popcorn. You just have to just yeah, hammer. You get a, ha- you get a yeah. craftsman hammer. They just yeah. hand it to you over the counter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Here you go. Congratulations. Also, we live in a world where Top Gun is making more money domestically than Doctor Strange, and that makes me and and, and, and I, I listen. Strange. I love Doctor Strange, the first one. I don't love the new one. Um, I, I, we we come to expect MCU to do well. It just always does, and you know Thor is going to crush. We know it is, but Top Gun is a, is to me the best success story I've seen for our business in a long time and it makes me just so happy because like even my bosses 
or like I've seen it. I went. I'm like, this is it just it just really kind of bodes well for our business and the future of the theatrical experience. You know, Gabe, real fast, just before we wrap, I want to point out why it's going to last a while. Uh, If you look at the top 10 movies right now. Number nine uh, is Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which came out in February and, yeah. is, and is on streaming and it's making two hundred and thirty nine thousand dollars and it's ninth on the box office chart. Yeah, Number 10 is Brian and Charles, uh, which go listen to our bonus episode with the uh, director and the screenwriters of Brian and Charles. It made two hundred and sixteen thousand dollars. It's number ten on the on the box office chart. And real quick, number eleven with one hundred eighty two thousand dollars is Firestarter, which is on Peacock wow. right now. Also, if you want to, so wow. Top Gun, which is making forty four million dollars right now, is going to hold on to a screen somewhere yeah. through probably October. I yeah. would I, and and then, I think I think it's yeah. without a doubt they'll hold on to it through freaking Christmas if they have oh, yeah. to. To hit a billion dollars this year, like I think, gonna, I think it's close enough that they're just going to try to stretch yeah. it. Regardless, pop, this will be like the No Way Home Best Picture thing again, where they're going to there is going to be a whole like Twitter uh, um, debate about whether or not it deserves Best Picture. I mean, I don't, I don't think it deserves Best Picture, but it is, it is an astounding. You, know, you don't think it deserves a, a win or a nomination? Uh, I don't. I, I, I think I it deserves a nomination. A nomination. I, think I, I think it deserves a nomination. Yeah, but I, I think it deserves a nomination the same reason I think No Way Home deserved a nomination. Just a great, awesome action film. I don't think it deserves to win, but uh, we all. But I mean, we, but know. even even for like the you know the part of the Oscar debate of of sort of technical prowess and moving, oh yeah, and moving the mm-hmm. medium forward, like the things that they did with those jets. Huge. Did you guys Don't hear that practically that, um, that Kaczynski is going to shoot his next uh, his Formula One racing movie the same way? Ooh, oh, with yeah, the, 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 one with, the one with Brad Pitt. His next movie, he said he wants to shoot the Formula awesome. One the same way that well, he shot. Top I bet Gun. you can't go back. Like once you look at yeah. that footage like that, you right. can't. There's no going and back. Shout out to Kaczynski, by the way, because like even his new movie, Spiderhead, like him and Claudio Miranda, his DP who shot Top Gun and, and um, Tron Legacy and all those films. He's always been kind of on the forefront of innovating things like that. And like the if you saw Spiderhead, anytime you would go into a drip drug sequence, they had these brand new lenses that they made for the movie to disorient oh, cool. you just like the I mean, the cameras in the Top Gun FA-18 cockpits were never used. They, they, those were brand new state of the art IMAX little tiny quality cameras that capture that. I do wish I could have saw it in Screen X. Um, if you listen to our interview with Kaczynski, he explains this cool concept they had because they had these two cameras on the sides of the plane. And if you saw it in a Screen X theater, it actually took up the entire sides of the wall because they have all that extra footage. You know, did you guys read that it cost them over eleven thousand dollars an hour mm-hmm. to fly those planes? Mm-hmm. Insane. insane. Worth it. Insane. All right. Well, speaking yeah. of costing money, let's uh, let's earn some money back with an ad break. And we'll see you guys on the other side. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious 
this extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And we are back. So this week in movies, Scott Derrickson uh, and Robert Cargill are teaming up again. Uh, they're the guys who brought you Sinister, uh, and they are adapting Joe Hill's short story, uh, The Black Phone. Jake, I didn't tell you uh, about, about, about my interview with Joe Hill. You told, me it, went, he you told me it went really well. Oh, my God. He was so great. Um, Where can people find it? Well, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't posted anywhere yet. Uh, it's cool. audio, and I want to pull some stories from it because he talked about the adaptation process. And um, people who might not be familiar with the fact that Joe Hill is the son of Stephen King uh, and goes by the name Joe Hill because he wanted to essentially make it on his own as a Love writer that. and talks at length about how um, the, so the black phone is part of a, a anthology called 20th century ghosts, I believe, or 21st, which, century which is funny because some of King's best adaptations came from anthologies came from short stories. Exactly. And um he, he says that 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 short story uh, book is filled with with uh, stories that he considers that, that they just don't work because he was still figuring out, like, how to be a writer. And he knows that he's that stuff he's done since then is stronger, essentially. Um, but he's just a really interesting guy and is a really great storyteller. And I really liked getting a chance. Does he to look I, I don't I don't even know what he looks like. Does he look like Steven? Oh, yeah. Dead. Does he? Does he? You would say a that's dead ringer. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. To the point where if they ever do the Dark Tower uh, and there's a moment yes. in Dark Tower late in the saga when a young Stephen King is a significant. Oh, I just got chills that Joe Hill has. That's to, fantastic. Uh, has to play. Um, and one of the things he told me, although I don't really know if I want to tell this story, because I think I want it to be on Cinema Blend. I'll tell you guys afterwards. Ah, this is really or you, you're getting, you give yourself a deadline when you tell it on it because we publish <laughs> Friday know, morning. So I know, gotta, and I got to get it posted before then. I won't get yeah. a chance to do that. I don't Why don't you tell it and then, and then get your article up before Friday? Oh, there you go. Because I'm lazy. <laughs> uh, it comes out Friday. That's that's yes, not the University does. of Kentucky way. No, it's not. That's why I'm not going there. I just wear the, <laughs> I swear the shirts where my check is going, essentially. All right, I'll tell the story. Um, yes! So he talks about the fact that, so the black phone is essentially about um, a, uh, a, a kidnapper named the Grabber who dresses up to look like a clown. Now, in the short story, he's enormously fat. Mm. Um, and so it's weird that Ethan Hawke is playing him in the, in the, um, in the film that Scott Derrickson is doing. Uh, but he lures kids to his van 
uh, with clown makeup and clown tricks and, and big balloons, like big balloons will come spilling out of the back of the guy, the guy's van. And he'll ask the kids like, hey, help me gather these up. And then the kid will come and then he'll get abducted, uh, similar to the way that Buffalo Bill did in like Silence of the Lambs kind of thing. And Joe Hill, in the course of our conversation, was like coming to terms with the fact and, and it felt like almost for the first time that he was probably channeling um, it, his father's mm-hmm. book, it. And realizing because he says it's my it's my favorite book of my father's and, you know, it deeply influenced me. And I was like, yeah, you're not alone, buddy. There's like a, a million, <laughs> there's a billion of us out here who, who also feel influenced by that book. And he said, I, I think I was running away from from what my father did uh, with it and, and so desperately didn't want to copy it, you know, that I ended up finding my own way into this thing. But now he goes years later when I'm able to step back and look at the structure of this story and the elements of it. He's like, I was basically just doing my own riff uh, on it. Uh, and so I, I thought that was a pretty interesting. Story wow. For, that's fascinating. Yeah. So now um, write that into a story. Shoot. I click it. on that. Yeah. Timer it's going to be starts, on another Trump. website. Timer <laughs> <starts>. <laughs> all right. So the black phone is in theaters and um, we're, we're all going to try to get a chance to go see it. Um, actually we're recording on Tuesday night and my screening is right now. Uh, I should be going to see it, but I wanted to record with you guys. So instead we will talk about, uh, Elvis. So Baz Luhrmann has a movie in theaters that we've been talking about a lot this this episode, uh, and it's called Elvis. And so we've spent a lot of time talking about Tom Hanks. Uh, let's shower some praise on Austin Butler, who plays mm. Elvis Presley over the course of this near three hour saga. Um, so people might not know going into it that this covers Elvis's entire career, uh, literally from him being a, a young boy uh, peeking through the 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 wood you know, of a, of a shed so that he can hear and see uh, people who are playing music and dancing to it uh, and then connecting to a revival tent that's next door to him and, and, and making this uh, connection, a mental connection and a spiritual connection between um, what the uh, revival preachers are essentially doing to, to drum up interest and, and what music does in order to drum up interest in its audience. And so Baz sort of dials into that and then um, captures just the rise of Elvis uh, with the help of Colonel Tom Parker, but 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 really drills down into how much Tom Parker uh, manipulated this kid, you know, and just really uh, because of his own habits, uh, ga- gambling for the most part uh, and the money and the debt that he'd driven up, you know, uh, manipulates Elvis to do various things, including like a Christmas special mm-hmm. that wasn't necessarily the most artistic thing that Elvis wanted to do. Uh, and these Vegas uh, residencies that that Elvis became famous for late in his career uh, were, you know, according to this movie, uh, really due to Tom Parker sort of locking Elvis up uh, into into these long term contracts. So um, I, w- I, I really like this movie a lot. Uh, and what I like about it is the energy that Baz Luhrmann brings to, mm-hmm. to no surprise, necessarily the way that he stages these different concerts, very different concerts there early on when Elvis is is just taking the stage and is getting um, bombarded by the the young girls who are seeing what they, you know, something they've never seen before in the way that he performed uh, all the way through these defiant concerts that he staged when uh, authoritarian figures were trying to say to him, stop doing that. You know, this is not how you're going to perform and we're not going to let you do this. And then he's basically, you know, thumbing his nose at these people and and taking control over the performer that he's going to be to the Vegas shows, which are really shown in in their entirety, long numbers, you know, with full musicians and, and the crowds in there watching them and the reasons why people were coming to the these hotels to see Elvis perform. And, uh, you know, there's a running thread throughout the movie that Colonel Tom Parker comes from a carnival background and just viewed Elvis as like 
the the best carnival trick he'd ever seen yeah. in his life. Like he was going to use Elvis's talents to lure in the rubes, essentially, uh, you know, and, and just keep uh, bilking them from their money. And, and but I mean, they were fans and they loved the stuff that Elvis was doing. So there's that element of it. Uh, but it, it it implies that by the end of his run, Elvis died broke, which is insane to think about when you realize, you know, he was the most popular musician on the planet, arguably, uh, during the course of his run. So it's a terrific film. It's it's one of the best adaptations I, I've ever seen of Elvis's life and career. Uh, and it's because I think Austin Butler is just terrific in the part. Like he just through all the stages, I think he is. um he's innocent uh he's kind of wounded uh there's elements about his relationship with his mom that are really tender uh, and i think austin butler sells those there's elements with his relationship with priscilla uh, and the draw that that um being elvis takes on their family life and um there were a lot of people who come up to me before uh, I uh, who haven't seen the movie who came up to me at these graduation parties we were going to and they were asking about Elvis and they said, does it make him look foolish at all? Like, is it is he the butt of the joke in the movie? And I said, no, it's not. It's not that movie at all. It's not. It's very reverent. Um, and I think if you're a fan of Elvis and having been in Graceland and seen the the sheer amount of people who who pilgrimage there, you know, to pay tribute to uh, everything that he created in the short amount of time that he was on this earth. Um, I think they're I think they're going to love this movie. I just thought it was I, I thought it was a fantastic tribute to. Him. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And also one of the things that's really, really incredible here in terms of like a task of what Austin had to do is like, I mean, I don't know if this is correct, but Elvis is definitely arguably one of the most or if not the most impersonated you know, musician that you, sure. I mean, there, I mean, there are literally like conventions and people dressing up and like, you know, it's a, it's a big I deal. Love, I, I, one thing I loved about the film, you mentioned that is that they, they touch on that really subtly right off the get go when he's right. still at the circus and there's the, the country singers, young kid wants to right. be him and like starts acting like Cody him, Smith like McPhee. a right. Cody Smith McPhee's character. I was like, that's such a great, like without doing right. a Elvis impersonator, Right. With the whole suit on that we would think that's kind of cliched and we've seen a million times. It was this really great way to sort of like plant a it seed. Was, yeah, it was already yeah, starting yeah, even at that time. Well, he was, and that, and he, that's, he was infectious. Yeah, that's the key that I think is important here, because like there's a massive difference between an impersonation and an interpretation mm -hmm. of somebody. Um, when you interpret somebody like, you know, you 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 take on their movements and their mannerisms in a way that you become that person rather than an impersonation which could be over the top i mean over the top elvis impression or impersonations are a thing and i think austin had a really really fine line to play with here where he had to become him interpret him and as priscilla and lisa marie presley were saying at the screening they think elvis morphed into him um and yeah i would agree with that i mean when you're watching the film you know, it also helps that Austin Butler it probably, you know, isn't the most well-known person on the planet mm -hmm. at the moment. Um, like it's and, like his biggest competition was Harry Styles. And I'm very glad that right. passed. And I like I like and, Harry Styles a yeah. lot, but I'm glad that they didn't go with Harry Styles. And I think the reason they didn't go with Harry Styles is bad. said this in an interview. I don't know who he said it to, so I can't give proper credit. But basically, like Harry Styles is already an icon, right, mm -hmm. himself. Mm -hmm. So it's a little that would have been a little bit of a hard thing to separate. But at the same time, like Butler, when you see an actor become a person that solidly or that that and that and that much so I don't know if that's the right word to use it is kind of scary like mm. watching somebody go down that path and like become that person and I read somewhere that he had a hard time even coming back to himself 
Uh, um, and I, I was like, that sounds like him. It's, yeah, it's he's almost still, like he's, he's putting the voice yeah. on. All also, the time. I, now I don't know if that's just him. He, maybe he just sounds that way. And it's really important to note that, like, you know, and Baz put this out on his Twitter, and Instagram, that he does. He is singing those early scenes. Um, also, he did sing everything in the later scenes on set physically mm. sang everything so that his throat and his mouth uh and then because elvis's voice changed over the years which i think was a smart decision because you don't want to you don't want to that could be a little dicey if you want if you're trying to stretch because austin's young guy and he's playing elvis at these younger ages and it makes more sense yeah. that way but elvis's voice, voice calcified cha- as he it got changed older. a lot and, and i think it was a smart decision because i would love for baz to release the video and audio of those later stages of singing just so I could hear how Austin sounded as that version, mm-hmm. just because I'm curious. Um, but overall, like it is a phenomenal performance. Also, everybody in it, um, I, I do. I, I find like the frenetic energy of Baz's direction. It's like a fever dream, right? Like, like, like you're kind of like you're kind of just like taken into this. It, it, it just pounds at you because that's, that's kind of probably what it was like for him. Right. Because if you think about the way it's edited and the frenetic energy of it, you probably would think about like, that's probably kind of how Elvis experienced it. You know what I mean? It was probably just like so much all at once. Uh, people try to change him. Um, I also thought Tom Hanks was great. And I think Hanks's performance is a hard one because he's Tom Hanks, but this is a disgusting character, like a really nasty dude, like um, and like financially speaking. Sure, you could argue, yes, he was helpful in getting Elvis to where he got to and bringing to the public. I still think Elvis would have found his way uh, regardless. But, you know, that's another that's just fan fiction and theories in your mind. But, uh, you know, Hanks, it's a despicable character, like a really nasty character. And like, you know, there's a scene on the Ferris wheel that I thought was really profound that I I, I kind of look at as catching him in a spider web because like if you watch that sequence closely like because the movie's so frenetic and then you get these super quiet moments and there's this moment on the ferris wheel where basically hanks's character locks him in he goes i'm we're we're gonna work together and it's almost as if it's kind of devastating but also kind of awesome at the same time because he's about to launch Uh, this massive career i don't know if you know one of my my favorite shots in the movie is before like in that scene but it's in that sequence but right before that moment in the scene which um, I'm just going to use as an opportunity to mention Nightmare Alley again, only because yeah, it's not the carnival. It's, it's not um, appreciated enough. But when he sees him, when Colonel Tom Parker sees him and he's leaning on the wall behind him is a portrait of the geek. And it's like this great oh, foreshadowing oh, really? of what his what his journey sort of ends oh, up being, yeah. uh, which I wouldn't have I mean, known if I hadn't seen Nightmare Alley. It makes sense. Um, I, I mean, because because cool. yeah. basically he captures he what he's I guess he's the Defoe guy. Right. Uh, essentially. In the, and I, I don't know. He's what, the what, talent. He's the talent handler. Yeah. Right. And I think I think. Um, but overall, it you know, it gave me a deeper appreciation for Elvis. I've been listening to a lot of his music on vinyl since then. Um, I didn't know how many movies he did. I mean, yeah. like the, the 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 career is so insane like if you like the movie does the best job it can to try and capture this insanely monumental moment of of music and film history but man like having to like go through all that and hit things right explain his military experience explain his movie experience like i mean there was a lot and and, you know it, it it goes into a lot so if you're an elvis fan and also lisa marie presley and and priscilla they didn't have anything to do with the movie Right. They they just loved it and wanted to help talk about it. And like, I think that's just like one of the greatest badges of honor you could get in terms of like if the family saw this and was like, damn, that's my dad or my grandfather. 
Um, man, like that's pretty wild stuff, man. He's a, it's one of the best performances I've seen in a long time. He, he became this guy. And also obviously text from once upon a time in Hollywood, which is amazing. But yeah. So anyways, the Sharon Tate thing was weird. That's a crazy moment, but you know, we could dive into that later. Jackie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I really love this movie. Um, I think it's pretty well documented on the show that I am not a massive fan of a lot of particularly musical biopics. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like they can be a little conventional. I tend to walk out of a lot of them liking the performance more than the movie. And this is a, one of the rare instances where I like the movie as much as the performance, which is saying a lot, because right now I think Butler has to be a shoe in for a best actor nomination. Um, I love that. It's not a traditional cradle to grave sort of story. In fact, um, the story is actually told through the eyes of Colonel Tom Parker, which I think is a brilliant sort of way to the way that it's sort of framed within that these hallucinations that he's having as he's dying is just absolutely genius. But you know, I feel like the uphill battle that this movie had in the same way that I always tell people that if, if someone watches die hard for the first time and they're like, yeah, but it's just like, it's just like every other action movie that I've ever seen. And I go, well, Mm. no, like it was a huge deal when it came out and every other movie you've seen copied it, but it was massive and groundbreaking when, when it came out in the late eighties, Elvis's story is kind of just that quintessential, like, you know, young boy from this, you know, like, you know, rising up and, you know, people swooping in and taking advantage of them. It's a, it's a tale as old as time, unfortunately, in the music industry. Yeah. So downfall. Yeah. 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 And so yeah. there would have been, you know, in, in a lot of other hands, it would have been just the most like traditional, like, yes, I've seen this story before. I know how this story ends. I know what happens. And not to the fault of anyone involved, because he's just like, hey, that was one of the most famous times that that happened. So you have to tell that story in such a way that makes us feel like we've never seen it quite like this before. And mm-hmm. I feel like that that's exactly what Baz Luhrmann does. It, it's very much like, yes, I understand that the, the, the story of the young artist and the people taking advantage of them. It's at this point, it's cliche in the entertainment industry, but let me, let me twist it. Let me make it entertaining. Let, let me, let me, let me sort of shoot it in such a way that still makes it feel unconventional because we, we grow, uh, you know, like, I feel like, there's no one really around that didn't grow up with Elvis or like hear their songs. But what was cool about this movie and I'll end on this is that it for the first time really made me pause. Cause I, and just he truly hear his songs mm-hmm. in a way that I felt like I'd never done that before because I felt like his songs and, and just his whole persona was so saturated in pop culture that I never take a, I never took a moment to appreciate who he was as an artist and sure. Gabe and I, sort of noticed something when we were sitting in the airport on our way home where we both were kind of humming Elvis songs. And it's the first yep. time I think I've ever organically yep. like sang yep. Elvis songs to myself. And the fact that the movie had the power to do that and made me not just look at him as this massive godlike image in pop culture, but as this dude that kind of got screwed over and it's just this heartbreaking and tragic tale. And, and if anything, I'm just appreciative that the movie made me appreciate him on a deeper level. And, and I think that a lot of that credit goes to Baz Luhrmann. There's one element I want to point out that that worked for me that isn't part of the movie. It was part of the Graceland experience. Uh, and, and Gabe pointed out when he brought me over to take a tour of the facility, which is the amount of uh, records, gold records that he had sold and platinum records. And uh, there's a wall uh, that is I can't even tell you how tall it is. Mm. And it's just covered, covered in records um, that that signify Elvis's sales. And you realize just how massive uh, absolutely massive uh, of a star he was. So, uh, so Elvis, Elvis in theaters. Uh, we'll be talking about it for a while, and um, 
And uh, let's we're going to get into our blend game uh, starring one of the, the co-stars of Elvis. All right. So let's transition from Elvis, which is in theaters, uh, to our blend game, which is co-starring uh, one of the people that's in Elvis, uh, a man we've been talking about a lot this episode. And rightfully so. We're going to play hashtag Tom Hanks blend. And uh, I, again, as we've done throughout this in course of uh, the course of this entire show, anything Tom Hanks related, uh, we're going to begin with Jake Hamilton. So, Jakey. Knowing that we've done best, and I don't, yes. remember, I have no idea what episode we did best on. Uh, yeah. We're gonna go for favorite. So tell me your favorite uh, Tom Hanks performance. Best, I chose Castaway because I think that is his best performance in a performance that only he could pull off. Um, yeah, yeah. For favorite, I think it's uh, a surprise to no one that I am going with Road to Perdition. Uh, um, here we go I know, again. I know. <laughs> it's uh, it's the, what do you, you say that like it's a terrible, horrible film. What was the last mm, time you just, watched it? Uh, no, it's been a very long time. I, I and, ask um, you to watch it again. Yes, I no, still, I, I, listen, yeah. I love it. I'm just saying I'm sick of you talking sick about you. it. Yeah, yeah as, are, as are most people. So in that sense, I I'll keep still, it quick. I can still hear the waves crashing. Yes. Oh, I, I, that scene when his kid is on the beach mm. and he's up there. And with you can see, Law. you can see the reflect in the glass. Oh, I, I don't want to ruin it for anyone who's never seen it. It's, it's genius. The waves, the, the waves color, crashing. Color cinematography. Oh. I, I talked to Tom Hanks about it um, in my TV interview when we were in Memphis, and he told me something I thought was fascinating because it's a, it, we're a few days away. July 12th, it'll be the 20th anniversary of Road to Perdition. And he said it was the first time in his career he'd ever been told do less, like keep it, keep it hidden, like scale back like that. Take you just did do less than that. Do l-. But what's fascinating is and you can you can tell it is a very subdued Tom Hanks performance. He's keeping, I mean, this is a, a father in the 1930s during the great depression, who was a hitman and really tried to shield his family from that. So he keeps a lot of things internalized, but what he pulls off in that role through his eyes, through looks are act, actors have had entire monologues where they don't get out the emotions and the expressions that Tom Hanks does with a look in that there is a moment where he holds up a gun to someone to kill them. And the person looks back at them and says, I'm glad it's you. And there is just this pain that Tom Hanks has in his face that before he pulls the trigger. And it's just, I mean, he's never been shot more beautifully than Conrad L. Hall's cinematography. Mm. Uh, he, the, he's never been paired more perfectly with a score than Thomas Newman's very subtle but haunting beautiful piano pieces and i would argue the one-two punch of every scene that he shares with paul newman and what is paul newman's last cinematic performance it's just cinematic gold they have so many moments together where it's just them and also a young daniel craig gives a just a creepy terrifying unsettling performance same for jude law who is just kind of terrifying in this role um but the one-two punch of paul newman and tom hanks together Mm. you just realize just it's just the, the the power of two great actors being placed in a room and almost sam mendez stepping in and going Okay, just go and mm. let's just see what happens. It's it's so many people at the top of their game that it's just like, of course, that's that's what happens. You know, it's it's I, I, I can't I can't love that movie any more than I do. And the fact that I got to sit with you guys and he organically brought it up by himself without me having to do it. 
is oh, just terrific story. <laughs> it was so good. Did his, did his Paul Newman impersonation too? Yes, which yes. Oh. Yeah, everything about that was yes. so great. Okay, so Jake's pick was predictable. We knew he was going to go. You're predictable. Uh, mine's a little bit off the uh, out of left field. Um, I, I would. This I is the moment where Sean with, reveals that he actually loves Forrest Gump. I can't can't get enough of it. I rewatched it. And I realized I was wrong, guys. This whole time. It's <laughs> Wait, didn't fantastic. you just didn't you just watch Larry Crown? Uh, no, I was just joking because it was oh. on HBO Max. <laughs> oh, I got so really I, excited. <laughs> no, no, no. It was on HBO Max oh. and I just took a picture and shared it to the group. Um, I, I would go with, with the Toy Story movies because I honestly believe that his performance is what sure. he is, is terrific. Phenomenal. But, but if I'm going with a movie, um, that I honestly believe is my favorite Tom Hanks performance, it's Ben Bradley, uh, in the post. Oh, and wow. I, Interesting. I know. Yeah, I know. I looked over his credits and there's so many great choices, uh, and and some of them are really easy to go with. But I think that oh god, you make me want to sit down and watch that movie now. I think Tom Hanks is a news uh, wonk. You know, mm. I I think he mm. just adores um, the process of news reporting, um, and he is a he's he's super into history, and and that was obviously the post was was uh, a, a integral uh, turning point in terms of. Uh, freedom of the press and being able to for, for uh, journalists to stand up to the government uh, big fan of typewriters uh, yes and there's a scene he should do a movie called news of the world that'd be cool for him to do that oh, you know that, what no, that, that'll never work that's actually uh, you, you son of a bitch i'm in <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe paul greengrass could do it i mean it just seems like a good idea but anyways yeah, kevin now you sound scene. stupid there's yeah. so many terrific <laughs> scenes in the post um, because, again, it's, it's similar to what Jake is saying. It's just everybody at the top of their game. It's uh, Meryl Streep and it's it's Tom Hanks and it's Carrie Coon and it's uh, it's Steven goddamn Spielberg. Um, and there's he a moment when they're all added that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's well, he should. Um, there's a moment when they are sifting through the Pentagon papers, which are, uh, you know, in tatters, essentially. And they're trying to stitch together um, notes and, and race to hit a deadline. And they still don't even know if they're going to be able to publish in time uh, or if they're going to be able to publish. They can put mm-hmm. the report together and they can get the, their yeah. front page story together. But they don't know if uh, Meryl Streep's character is going to let them actually go to press. Um, and Tom Hanks just sells it. He sells every like the thing about Ben Bradley, because I actually one of the one of the, the greatest accomplishments of my career, with all due respect to you two, who I adore. Um, and it's uh, the show that we've built is is amazing. But I I got reviews published in the Washington Post uh, for several years. I lived in Washington, and, and like in the Post, they debated whether or not to to run them. Yes, and and there's a whole investigation actually involved. <laughs> <laughs> um, so was that when you were a, reviewing? Is that when you did the like the uh, Gone with the Wind and Wizard of Oz reviews? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hand wrote. Uh, right. And then we delivered those copies. Dude, preposterous. Your, preposterous. Your, preposterous. Your, vertigo, your vertigo review in the post was, I, I go back to the archives. It's incredible. Yeah, it's controversial. I got, I got uh, in a lot of trouble for giving that a one star, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so this wasn't vert- vertiginous at all. <laughs> um, I, 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 think, I think Ben Bradley, it's not the role that Tom Hanks was born to play, but I think he loved everything about being mm-hmm. ben, ben Bradley, the, being the leader of the newsroom, uh, being somebody who could be at the front lines of of history and not in a uh, gratuitously cheesy way that Forrest Gump was was shoehorned into uh, every element of of our mm. nation's history, uh, but an authentic way to be a leader uh, who was 
pushing forward and um and listen hanks and spielberg together uh anytime mm. uh i'm in so i picked ben bradley for the post kev where'd you go um i i, I had to go with saving private ryan primarily because the the opening of that film which hanks talks about in our interview um if you actually just dissect his performance in that moment, um, because it is, there's a lot going on. And as we mentioned, like Kaminsky, like who beautifully shot that, you know, changed the shutter speed. And it was like, it was just very disorienting. Um, there's a lot going on in that. And it sounded like from our interview that it was shot linearly, which yeah, is which incredible is to me, I, which I didn't know. Um, but there's a it moment would where it have to be right. It would almost have to be. You can't really. restage that chaos. Yeah, and do know. it in like different segments. That's probably what Spielberg. That's probably the the reasoning. But I mean, it yeah. is most movies aren't shot linearly. And and like like, you know, oh. with that many people on set, there could have been an act like Vin Diesel could have had a different but, day. But Spielberg he was there. famously not not necessarily for all of his film, but Steven Spielberg, if the occasion called, like he famously shot E.T., in linear fashion to make it easier for the kids. Right, mm-hmm. right. And he'll do. I mean, obviously, he has the power to do that. Um, and in terms of Hanks, though, there's a moment in that scene that I think is my favorite thing he's ever done because it was probably one of the most immersive moments from a filmmaking perspective because it's it's this moment when like basically everything kind of stops, the sound goes out, and we're kind of like focused on Tom Hanks's face as he's looking onto this, you know, onto the beach. And, you know, he's supposed to be leading people, right? And like and like there's this like vulnerability in that moment that is so shocking and just disorienting and like he's a human being and they're all human beings but in that moment you have this person who's supposed to be and that person's like shouting at him what do we do next sir and it's like i just think that that moment that look on his face i think is probably my favorite thing i've ever seen him do just because he captured a horror that i will never experience that I feel like I understood better because of the way he portrayed the look on that face, Mm -hmm. Um, that whole sequence. And that's also the moment in the, in, in the movie where Hanks brought up in our interview Mm -hmm. where the guys, I think uh, the actor was an actual amputee. I think he said, Mm -hmm. and he was Mm -hmm. looking around for his arm and that image it was crazy he brought that image up because that was the image I remember. I knew in, we we all. Yeah. I think you could probably hear yeah. us in that moment. We all like instantly knew, knew the shot it. he was talking about. Yeah, and I remember seeing it in '98 and and in a theater and like looking at that guy and like and and looking at how dis. I'd never seen anything like that before. Coupled with Tom Hanks's performance, so what you basically have here is an intersection of Steven Spielberg, Yanis uh, Kaminsky, mm-hmm. and Tom Hanks creating a moment that is so immersive and so brilliant in terms of a performance that it puts you there. Uh, and outside of all that, all uh, the sound effects and the guns and the bullets and, you know, the, the sound the, of the bullets the, going through the water and the water. Yeah. And it, and it's, it's honestly what I loved about the interview with Hanks is that he remembered that scene literally yeah. every it was moment like he shot that, it the that, day before. Right. And you're talking about a guy who, that movie was shot in what 97 or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember the exact year. And he's made, X amount of movies since yeah. then and talked about X amount of movies since then, including Finch. Right. And, right. But in his I mind, Finch so much in, in his mind, he still remembers the yeah. linear order of that yeah. sequence. Um, Is that and, the and, and, this this? Yeah. OK, I'm curious if you guys feel this way. That might be the single greatest, best directed sequence in the history of movies. Like, I think that's the best directed mm, moment. Yeah. in movies we could do like see like, like like best direct like some like there's a lot of scenes that you could argue on that but it is when i think about 
pure immersion. Sean, are you that- debating between that and the opening of Hubie? Halloween is that what you're <laughs> pretty great I mean th- there's a moment when he drinks something from his thermos I'm not quite sure what it is but it, right, it right. causes him to projectile vomit right he's right. still riding on the bike and he's riding on the bike with no hands which is not easy to just do. as intense mm-hmm. as go ahead make fun of me guy. more no. for liking Finch for, go ahead first of all for all right first of all he's talking about Hubie we, we like Hubie we joke about that but it, it, we it, do in, not we do not don't say we <laughs> do not like Hubie no but we it, do not but like but going back like just real fast like that it's that moment. It's it's the look on his face. Yeah. I know and that then, there's a shot of and, like shock right. where he's like, and he's like, and then all of a sudden you like in that entire moment is basically his whole character's arc, in my personal opinion, because if you think about the emotional moment of that, he's he's thrown into this insane uh, situation, right? He then takes a second and realizes where he is and then has to somehow pull himself back together to lead this this moment and people are asking him what to do and soldiers are asking him what to do and it's and it's just incredible like if you look at his face go seriously go back and watch that scene and just watch his face because the entire the entire moment is literally him understanding what he has to do to save his men and if he doesn't do it everyone's gonna die and a lot of people lost their lives obviously on that in that in that moment and on that day on, on that beach and i think I just I remember hearing veterans talking about watching that scene and yeah. saying that it brought it, that that was what it was like. Um, and, it, it, you know, I, I just found that moment. And to me, overall, performance wise, I think that's his my favorite thing he's ever done. I just I, I had never seen anybody capture an arc in a look like that. Mm. It was wild. But What's up, Gabe? Before we get to audience picks, I want to do something that we sometimes do. Um, but I want to point out that I'm going to do this in order and I'm not going to skip a single film. Um, which is to read some of his some of his work again in order. I'm not going to skip a film. I'm going to start with 1988's Big. Uh, then he did Punchline, which he co-starred with the Flying Sally Field, the Flying Line. Yes, uh, oh, that's right. The Burbs, Turner and Hooch, Joe versus the Volcano, The Bonfire of the Vanities, A League of Their Own, Sleepless in Seattle, Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, Apollo 13, Toy wow. Story, That Thing You Do, Saving Private Ryan. You've Got Mail, Toy Story Mm. 2, The Green Mile, Castaway, (laughs) Band of Brothers, Road to Perdition, Catch Me If You Can. (laughs) I didn't didn't skip a single one. Jeez. Catch Me If You Can is brilliant. Catch Me If You Can was my my backup. That's a great run. But it's funny because we're playing... You're playing favorite, and like I would rather put Catch Me If You Can on than Saving Private Ryan, but because of the emotional moment that that gave me as an audience member i had to choose it but like catch if you can is definitely more of like my like my speed actually, of like putting a film to, on i prefer to put on shakespeare in love because it was the it was the best picture winner that year oh so. god yeah. Some, uh, you know, every, every once in a while you say something that that deserves just <laughs> that you just deserve to be punched in the face and that anastasia I, uh says this is literally impossible oh. so just to annoy uh sean o'connell i'm choosing she chooses forrest gump sean uh, Yes, Kev. You just got a brand new TV. You've been posting about it on on your on your um, on your the social LG, media. The LG OLED with but it's like with a lot of input from Kevin, by the way. Sixty five inches, man. So, which is LG oh, those real blend paychecks are really. If, if LG so, wants to sponsor this show, right? Yeah, I will gladly test one of those LG OLEDs. You they're, know? So they're so the cool, phenomenal. The cool, the cool thing, Sean, is that if, if Dave uh, got one over it, us, I would literally quit. I would quit <laughs> this show. Sean, the um, same Private Ryan was shot one eight five. So. Mm. It takes up literally the whole screen except for very skinny bars at the top and the bottom. 
I want you to put on the opening of Saving Private Ryan on your screen and watch it. I, and I guarantee you, you will never have seen the film like that before. It's 185. It blows up to the basically the full screen. Watch that 20 minutes. Sean, um, yes. I see, just check your local listings. I'm sure it'll pop on TNT. I was going to say, no, it's on TNT. Some point soon. I'll it's send you the 4K. July's coming up. If it's on, I'm going to send you the 4K. <laughs> Do I'm not doing it right send now. me the 4K. I haven't even opened I'm, the tenant 4K yet. I'm sending Stop. you the 4K right now. No. Stop. <laughs> Continue on with the audience picks. Uh, continue going. I, I yes, can't uh, believe it. you're not watching Dino, it on Seafy. Dino Paulo says Road to Perdition. Uh, Sai Voss, Amanda Young, and several others went with Castaway. Lisa says her favorite film uh, is The Green Mile, but her favorite mm-hmm. performance is Philadelphia. Jacob uh, Shim, Shimilar, Shimilar. Jacob Shimilar. Shimilar. Yes, uh, who listens to the show often and writes to us. Hi, Jacob, how you doing? Said Captain Phillips. I'm I'm the captain now, uh, according to that movie. Uh, Toya Brown went with Turner and Hooch. Harry Lickman said Saving Private Ryan. Sam Doling went with Toy Story. And Michael Kamens went with That Thing You Do. No bad choices at all in those audience picks. Uh, and as Gabe has mentioned, next week we are doing hashtag summer summer blockbuster blend and as you've listened to the beginning of the show there's a way for you to participate and maybe win a really cool prize so um i will remind you now you can leave a comment under this youtube video using hashtag summer blockbuster blend you can tweet at us using hashtag summer blockbuster blend or you can email us real blend at cinema cinema (laughs) put that hashtag in the subject line and that'll enter you for a chance to win can you a movie pack consisting of doctor strange and the multiverse of madness Mad Max Fury Road, Black and Chrome, and Jaws, uh, which you will be able to uh, redeem via the Movies Anywhere app. Yes, okay, can, can you can you clarify a little bit as to the, the rules behind? Is is it is it one of those sort of that's wide open and open to our interpretation? Is it is it? Oh, summer blockbuster. Um, yeah, I would say that it has to be a uh, summer release. And sure. you can be gray area fringe, you know, especially these days, the summer season kind of mm-hmm. is spread. Um, it doesn't have to be the, you know, the solstice necessarily. Um, and uh, Blockbuster, I think the key is Blockbuster. So Does it have be, to have come out while we were alive? No, 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 no. It's just your favorite okay. movie that you would call a summer Blockbuster. Got it. Um, so that fits oh, like Top Gun Maverick is a perfect example of this. That is this year's summer yeah, blockbuster. It doesn't seem like a hard one to understand. Why you're having a hard time with summer blockbuster? Well, no, I didn't know. I didn't know if like you know, like for you, you, you could choose any any blockbuster that's ever been made ever. But like for Kevin and I, there's we have a little bit of a smaller window if it's <laughs> under the umbrella of when we were alive. If it needed to be like something that we saw in theaters, you know, we can't we can't right. uh, we like can't a all summer choose Ben Hur. A summer blockbuster for for Sean was probably Mr. Smith Goes to Watch. Washington, like the back of the <laughs> summer, man, summer was, blockbuster for Sean was just staring up at the sun <laughs> before television was invented. Oh, yeah, you can watch the Sandlot. I would go out to an actual Sandlot. <laughs> Baseball. <laughs> yes. Yeah, on on the note of the giveaway, I want folks at home uh, a reminder of the the point of this game. We are playing favorite. Send us your favorite, and I want to hear stories. I want to hear why. The the reason we switched to favorite. So you could tell personal stories. You could be more personal about uh, why you love something versus this sort of colder like this. Yeah. So so I will say the the winners are going to be mostly random, but I do get to choose them. And so, you know, man, the, the power's you, really gone to get. Remember when Open remember up. when when Gabe used to just not speak on the show? The power now that's gone to his head. Know. He's literally choosing winners from people who submit stuff. Warner, Warner Brother, I forgot to tell you, Warner Brothers sent me an email. I'm actually getting 45 minutes with Hanks by myself. <laughs> mm. 
Onks. It's pronounced yeah. Onks. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, our next premium episode is going to be more stories from behind the scenes of our Tom Hanks interview uh, and our trip to Memphis and, and several of us our having a very back. long trip home. <laughs> yeah. I'm never flying with Gabe. We'll, we'll be back soon with another premium episode. This and is a great episode. Us. This was a lot of fun. Yes. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We recorded this, this episode. Uh, late. We recorded this uh, uh, in the evening on a Tuesday because it was the only time that all of us had. And I think it's I think we're a little more loose. Because, we did it again. Um, so uh, no alcohol was involved in the recording of this episode with uh, with everybody. Speak no. for yourself. <laughs> you can follow us uh, online at Jake's Takes at Kevin McCarthy TV at Sean underscore O'Connell at Gabe Kovach. And the show is at Real Blend. What do we shout now? Babylon? Hockey pads. Bab- Hockey pads, man. Babylon. Babylon. I like that. Uh, that Killers of the Flower Moon. Nope. That's a good one. Nope. Nope is nope's a good one. Nope. Nope. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.